This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay, girls. Sitting in the backseat driving so fast hands out the window we're not going back summer on a green hill laughing so loud taking my body and you're taking it down Sawete mihinomen est Stella, ad hoc est Barrel Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 217, shipper special number 11 for February MMXXII. <laughs> I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let, let me tell you about shippers. <laughs> get over get get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Be not talking Ship ship shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick 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 and Babs. Batman and Cat Catwoman. 
here we go for the shippers. Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien said, 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 many shippers. I'll kill him. Dickin' Bats. Batgirl the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Well, I think that this episode, or these episodes, this special, is the way to determine whether Donovan and I are on the ins or on the outs. Because if we're ever on the outs, he'll never be back again for this special. But you can tell he's he's back here for number 11. And there was just that one time that I betrayed him because I had Chuck Dixon on to talk about words play. <laughs> but I really couldn't do this shipper special without him. And, and this particular one has been percolating for a couple years when we came up with it. So welcome back to the show, Donovan Morgan Grant. Thank you very much. And as privileged as I always feel to be here, I do feel not so much pressure, but a bit of an interrogative spotlight because, as we were saying a few minutes ago, I think you're much more of a gamer. You've had episodes about video games, and I think the only one that I was on or have been on was the Spider-Man one, which shouldn't be a surprise considering where you and I both come from podcast-wise. So I feel that like I'm a little bit of a of a – of a newbie here, even though I've also been playing games for many years. I don't know why I said that, but like, I feel that you're a better gamer than I am. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this, this plays out. Yeah. So Donovan has, has already spoiled what we will be talking about, but I think we even mentioned it last at last special. And the way that Don and I have, I think done these really is that we alternate between something that's comic based and then something that's not comic based. So, you know, anime or discussions about uh, diversity and inclusivity and things like that or and then of course comics. So, this was something that I came up with or I think maybe we both had a discussion about. I think it was while I was playing Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> remake because <laughs> there was so much going on in that video game and I thought, you know, that'd be really interesting to talk about couples in video games and could we you know come up with the top five list so that is what we're going to do i always ask he's he's always the one to to lay down the law about things so i asked him are we just doing romantic and he said yes so we're just doing romantic because i think my list would have been different had platonic or familial or partnery ships be allowed but yeah so just a, a romantic maybe erotic who even knows but because we're talking about video games and and don't sell sell yourself short i think while i may play more video games than you i think you also have you know a catalog in your history that i've never touched so i think we we vary in our games but perhaps i'm more consistently doing things it's it's certainly something that has brought me joy this past year and a half having my subscription to gamefly <laughs> who doesn't sponsor the show but just being able to try things out that i may not have normally because games are expensive and and being and sending them back so i'm happy for that but when was the first time well i guess we could talk about our gaming history 
if you would like. So do you remember what the first system is that you had and maybe the first video game that you actually played? <laughs> <laughs> you played on the Atari. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. No, I know. Um, but like uh, my our first gaming system was the Turbo Graphic 64. Ooh. Have you ever heard of that before? No. It's ah man. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not really investigating too much about it, but I know it was one of those sort of like seedless systems. But it did have some games at the time. I think it had it had some platforming games. I think it had like a Bruce Lee fighter game. I I, I forget a lot of the games that, that we enjoyed on it, but I remember that it was sort of on the first. This is like back in like the '90s, back in like like mid '90s. We were very very young, and my brother thought he could fix it by like cutting one of the wires in half, and so we never played it again because it was broken forever. Um, oh, after that, though, we did, we, we were a Sega family. Like, I, I never, I've never talked talk to Harry. Harry's always on about, like, the Nintendo, the, the, the Nintendo 64 and, and Nintendo, Super Nintendo and such. We, my brother and I had a Sega Genesis. We had Sonic the Hedgehog. We had, um, Mean Bean Machine, Batman and Robin, Adventures of Batman and Robin. And our cousins also had Sega Genesis. So those were the kinds of games we played. By the end of the 90s, our parents got us a PlayStation. And the first game we played on that was uh, Crash Bandicoot 2, The Wrath of Cortex, which is a, a huge favorite of ours uh, and to this day, as you uh, experienced when you were uh, visiting of last course. year. I think from then on, yeah, we were, we were, we were uh, PlayStation boys. I mean, we got a PS2, eventually a PlayStation 3. And that, by that point, when the, I remember the PS3 actually came on sale, I think, the weekend that I graduated high school in 2007. And from then on, this is always something I always mention. I was very, very, very heavily into gaming in high school. Like, like a lot of the new popular games I did play. My brother's a lot. My, Denmark's actually a lot more of a gamer than I am. He he's a big retro gamer. Like he he found himself a Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and Super Famicom even, and and plays a lot of old games. And he still plays that. He still wants me to play with him because he's better than I am at it. Throughout high school, we played a lot of games on the PlayStation Two. And by the time I was entering college, that was the era of like Halo Three and Guitar Hero. I think Call of Duty was coming out around that time. Uh, G4 was a thing throughout my time in high school. And I remember vividly in, high, in my freshman year of high school meeting one of my high school classmates in the hallways that kind of went to the same school that I did. And we were talking about her boyfriend. And she was saying her boyfriend had flunked every single class except Jim because he spent the entire time in his dorm room playing Halo 3. And that kind of – that kind of scared me straight. I was like, not that I really brought any of my games, but I was like, okay, I will not play any video games while I'm in college. You know, I don't want to. The, the idea of my dad looking me in the eye, telling him I, I failed, you know, my classes because I was playing Guitar Hero, was one I, I I daren't dredge up. So, I kind of left my gaming days behind all throughout college, and I really didn't get back much into gaming until about 2018. Where I was sort of walking in and out of a game spot, you know, unsure. I think I was, I was, I was on the, on the phone or texting you about getting a PS4 because the new Spider-Man game had come out. And through very little cajoling, you convinced me to get it, and I, I love that game. <laughs> and the recent games I've played have been on PlayStation 4. I was even actually going to ask, have you, have you been successful in, in obtaining a PS5? No. And I, but I'm okay right now. I think until some things start coming to PS5 that is not going to be on PS4, then I'll have to really think about if I'm willing to make that financial investment. But there's so few and far between anyways, and luckily everything that's 
coming out, you know, it, it has that PS4 still, so I feel like I'm still safe. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely – once Spider-Man 2 is out, I'm like, okay, who will, who will I have to assassinate to steal their <laughs> PS5? But really, I'm a PlayStation guy, uh, you know, fighting games. I mean, uh, my brother and I were huge into the Capcom fighting games in the early, early 2000s, both like the Marvel fighting games and the general Street Fighter universe. My favorite franchises are – Actually, not, I don't want to get into that too much, but they will they will pop up on this list. And actually, it, it is it is majorly through my my gaming career in high school that has contributed to this list. And it was it was nice and nostalgic to kind of return to this. Sounds great. Yeah, I think that the Sega was also my introduction. I, in particular, Mortal Kombat one nice. and two, I believe the originals and some Sonic. And it, it was all I didn't own it, so it was all these neighbors down the street. And Mortal Kombat, I wasn't allowed to play via my parents, but I used a slide tactic in saying, "Oh, you can turn the blood off." <laughs> oh, Stella! Oh my goodness! It that took. I mean, talk about cajoling, boy. Sh- that sure did. But th- if I hadn't played Mortal Kombat, my life would be so different. I remember seeing the film. I have the film on VHS. Oh, we watched the film. We watched the new film. I've played. Yeah. So my life would have forever been altered. I don't know if it ever did for me, but the violence never bothered you as a kid. I don't think so, especially because, like, if I were a kid and playing Mortal Kombat 11, which had just come out, absolutely, without a doubt. But because it was, like, clearly pretty fantastic, right. I, I don't think it bothered me as much. And, I mean, the fatalities were still fatalities, but they weren't as gory as they've gotten and or weird as I've seen them. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of stuff. I remember wanting to play the NH- NHL game that uh, my friend had, but he had, like, a perfect record, so I had to play, like, a ridiculous, like, 10... In- I had to win, like, 10 matches in a row on X... Ex- position what is it called expedition x oh oh exhibition exhibition thank you i'm saying all the ex words but that one and then i could actually play in his season so it was primarily that but wasn't allowed an actual video game system and that was before middle school so then middle school comes around and really trying to convince my parents to get this ps1 and i think I really, honestly, folks, my superpower is shipping, obviously, and (laughs) manipulation because (laughs) I came up with this ridiculous thing where there are two charts and it was almost like fill one beaker and the other beaker gets empty. So it was like a good chart and a bad chart. So if I were bad, then the numbers would go up and the good chart would go down. But if I was behaving myself, doing things I was supposed to do, then the bad chart would go (laughs) down chart will go up and the point was to get to 10 on the good chart and zero on the bad and then i would be gifted a playstation one i think because it was so overly complicated and even my my brother and my parents say this because i just like made it so complicated that they bought into it so whether i hit that 10 and zero i'm pretty sure i did but again it manipulated my way i was able to get a playstation one and then the game i got with that was of course the demo disc which was really influential yes and then the OG Gran Turismo. And it was because my brother, who was in the Navy at the time, but whenever he was on leave, we were able to play. So I got a two-player game so that we could play together. But that, because that was the only game I had, and some of those license tests, and I mean, that game's not easy. It's it's pretty authentic, I think, to actual 
car racing and things like that. But the demo disc was great. I got to play a bunch of games. I remember there's like a Star Wars fighting game. Crash Bandicoot 2 was on there. I think it was the uh, one of the ice levels. Yeah. Um, there's like an IQ game. So some of the things I knew what was happening, some of them I didn't. But it was really interesting. And that led to my love of Crash Bandicoot. And I remember some neighbors, for whatever reason, got me a Jurassic Park game, which I think I resold. And then Crash Bandicoot 1. And that was really influential because I thought, why is this game so hard? True. <laughs> and I hadn't beaten it until, I guess, 2017 or something like that. But I fell in love with Crash Bandicoot. And then, of course, getting the second one and the third one and, and Crash Team Racing. Like, all of these crucial games came to me on PlayStation 1, Croc, Legend of the Gobos, all of that. And then PlayStation 2, I earned my own money and bought that. And I felt like I was done, like, okay, no more. And then I was in college and... The PlayStation 3 just looked lovely. I mean, of course, with every generation, things just look better and better. And the storytelling was getting good. And I'm watching this trailer and things about this Uncharted game. I'm like, what is this? You know, and so I took a chance and I got I got that and PlayStation 3. And then I said, OK, enough's enough. No more gaming systems. It's just too much. I've got enough. And then, and then Uncharted 4 came out. It's basically Uncharted's fault. But Uncharted 4 came out, and there were other things that were coming out. And so I ended up getting the PlayStation 4, the Uncharted bundle specifically, so it looks a bit different. But, yeah, so that's basically my, my gaming history. I dabble in things that initially I don't think I ever would have dabbled in. Like, I'm a bit more into horror games, but only specifically with, like, Resident Evil. I've started to like those. And trying different things out, RPGs, which often seem really overwhelming to me. Just like, oh, man, you got to slog through different things and level your people up, and it's just a lot. And I think Final Fantasy VII, when it came out on PS1, I, I don't think that never would have been something that would have interested me. Just with it, it seems so static in its gameplay, mm -hmm. it, meaning that, you know, the people when you're fighting, you're like choosing what they're doing. But I was happy to give the remake a, a shot because I saw that it was more dynamic fighting. Absolutely. So yeah, I've I've experimented. I think I've grown as a gamer, but I'm I'm very appreciative of all the the systems that I've had and and just that it exists is I think it's a really beautiful and fun art form that sometimes people snub their noses at, but not us. Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's been a thing. I remember when I was first listening to Harry uh, before he and I actually met. He would talk about gaming's reputation and whether people consider it gaming to be art or not and it's kind of a, i understand it's a kind of an angry conversation in, in circles and like I, I never i can't imagine that it's not that's kind of like saying like you know like well comic books aren't real literature it's like you, you want this to be easier than it is yeah crazy did you ever play the tony hawk games no oh those are those i are haven't fun. well i think that might be a lie i think i've probably played them at like a party or something when i was younger but not put any significant time in but i was interested i think on my queue in gamefly it has the remake of one and two which came out on ps4 mm -hmm. yeah no that, uh, when i think about like early 2000s and gaming is like those were very much a staple i think like um a lot of those kind of like rock and roll sports games were a big thing i remember bmx being a big thing driver being a big thing because uh, I never really got into the only the only shooter I ever got into was like Time Splitters and and I played Halo at friends' houses but um Denmark and I were always about the platform stuff 
Yeah. Yeah. I, although, although I think when yeah, Uncharted yeah. came around is when I was probably in college, so I'm not because I've not played those games. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a first-person shooter, but I have done a couple Call of Duties to give it a shot, and then the the most recent two Resident Evils, seven and eight. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I don't hate them, but I it's certainly not my preference. But because I've I've played them, I kind of want to give Bioshock a try because I've heard really good things about them, just with storytelling and twists and things like that. But but we'll see. Well, my next question, of course, is about the shipping. When, when was the first time that you realized that shipping could be in a video game or, you know, you witnessed it in a video game? One of my choices. <laughs> okay. Straight up. Can you give a – what system were you on so that we don't – It was 2001. We don't spoil. It was PlayStation 2, and it was during the cutscene where it happens <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we we don't have to go <laughs> farther than that, but I appreciate it. I would say because my shipping – I was just asked about my shipping history. My shipping really, I think, started quickly with Justice League, the animated series, specifically Green, Green Lantern and Hawk Girl. I think that's really when I understood like, oh my gosh, you know, relationships and there's this thing where I can – really be gung-ho for them and a, a big fan and proponent of it. But before, I would say, looking back, I think maybe my first introduction that there might have been something there is probably Crash Bandicoot 1, specifically with oh, Tawny yeah, Bandicoot. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's not really much there, right? Because you see her, it's a damsel in distress situation, but often, I think all of them, all of the bonus levels at the very end, she'll be by the platform and she'll kind of hoot and holler if you if you make it to the end or get all the boxes. But then Neocortex flies by and, and picks her up. But you do see her at the end and I think you get a kiss. So at least I was like, oh, well, that's cute. But I don't think I was shipping really necessary. But I saw that there was some romance. It, it wasn't anything that I sought out for my video games. I think I was looking for enjoyment and fun, platforming, like you said, action adventure. But probably Uncharted was the first time that I was engaged in a narrative. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, there's this couple that all of a sudden happens at the end of it. So that would probably be the beginning of my video game shipping. But I still don't actively seek out video games based upon relationships they kind of i seek out the narrative the story the gameplay and then i'll be very lucky and happy if shipping happens in that game yeah this is an interesting kind of thing to talk about because i don't know how much more there's romance in games than there, than there i mean of course the games were always objective based you know gotta do this to get this and the in these sort of like basic plot there may be a princess to rescue if you're playing mario or such I'm not played enough of the modern games to know how much of the romance is built up there. Like, for instance, in Spider-Man PS4, he and Mary Jane are like exes, and they get back to spoilers. They get back together by the very (laughs) end of it. And then in the DLC, there's this sort of tension with Black Cat, who's sort of the the ex he went to after he and Mary Jane previously broke up. So there's that romantic tension that I I honestly, I adore that. I love that. I love that, that kind of dynamic. But there's not really like... The only kind of romance I understand in gaming is straight up dating sims. And, 
You know what? Yeah. Actually, let me go back. I, I, I tell a lie. I say that like my choice was the first time. The first time I actually understood shipping in video games was this um, this this farming sim called Harvest Moon. It's one of my brother and I's favorite video games in which you inherit a farm and have three years to make it into like you know the best farm you can be. And throughout that time, you have a harem of characters that you can kind of choose to court and date and get married with. And it's one of those things where you can kind of like, like uh, put more emphasis effort into it and and get married and have a love interest you could have the option to meet i think five women from the village from the, the accompanying village and they all had different occupations and they also had like love rivals so if you didn't get with them they would get together get together with somebody else but it was really fun and my brother and I were always like oh who do you want we, we can get this one or we can get this one i know uh there's been other sequels and iterations of video game where you play as either a boy or a girl the one we played for the playstation was a boy i believe that you can still have this sort of shipping courtship later on that's an element of the game but like that was the first time we played anything where like romance was part of the gameplay to be honest rather than just like i think that like to get 100 percent in the game you would, you would have to have a wife and have her have a baby and such so it was, it was a really really fun element of the game that i've always wanted to play the later versions of that game just to see how things have developed but that did kind of predate one of my choices as hey this is a thing that you can do that's uh romantic and we were all about it it wasn't we were we were not too young where we were like boo this sucks so it was it was the right kind of game for our, i guess our puberty stricken minds at the time oh my goodness yeah i think probably the sims might have been the first time yeah. In terms of like a simulation, that was like, oh, if you have like a heart-shaped bed, that means that you could romance somebody. But my, I didn't do too well. I think my sim kind of died in her own pool of urine. It, she didn't make it to the bathroom. So Are you serious? It just. <laughs> yeah, I remember the Sims. I can't. It's funny. I, are, are you serious? As if I killed a real human being. Listen, I tried, but she was stubborn. Do you? <laughs> do you play any games where romancing is an option? I'm thinking of, well, Assassin's Creed Odyssey recently did this, but what is it, Mass Effect, where there are so many people that you could potentially romance? Have you played any of those games? I guess RPGs, potentially. No, 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 no. I'm not, I really haven't, that, that's sort of after my time. I mean, I'd like to, but the romance in my games have always been like automatic. And part of the plot. Now, I will say, <laughs> and I, I, I think I can speak this freely because I made a big deal about it on QNOA, that the Final Fantasy VII Remake, they put a metric butt-ton of romantic options for you to kind of like trade off depending on who you preferred. And that was not in the original FF7, of which we, my brother and I played. And so that is probably the one example I, I will count. For example, I was actually watching some cutscenes last night, and... I remember this part was like like the part where you're confronting Don Corneo at Wall Market with with Cloud in the dress and such, and then like they all like you know go back to their classic costumes, and Tifa and Aerith are threatening to castrate himself, and he like gets you in the trap door, and then Cloud wakes up. You have the option to wake up either Aerith or Tifa first, and I remember that not being. I mean, I remember all that I've said was in the original, but that whole like you know who will you wake up first? That was not in the original game. That's purely based on just how you prefer. To who do you interact with and their reactions are, are similar like, like tiffa's like who is who is this woman and Aerith is like so that's tiffa huh and so <laughs> ah, the, it blew, I, I must tell you 
all of that blew my mind. <laughs> because it, I, I, Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, which I may talk about later on, kind of is like a third of it. It's a complete like dating sim remake in ways that completely shocked me to a ghost. If I have to count anything, I must count that. But I've not played the Mass Effect games. You talk to Jude about those. Gotcha. I think my final question would be, what, if anything, does shipping add to video games? I, I mean, do kids still do the whole, like, romance is gross thing? Romance is gross? Yeah, is, I, I don't know. Is, is that still a thing? Like, I think that maybe it's – I don't know if it's, if it's something with millennial culture or what have you, but especially now that, like, a lot of – we like to believe – that we're a lot more of a queer friendly country or world that it's just a bunch, it just makes everything more interesting. Sometimes it can be a little cloying um, in terms of like, well, if characters are established this one way and they fall in love with this character, it can be, you know, a little messy. Like, like, like I'm thinking of the black widow and Hulk romance from age of Ultron, which I personally didn't mm-hmm. have much of a problem with, but a lot of people did. So I, I use that as a, as a example, but I think, you know, especially in gaming, if you do have an, an option of pursuing somebody, like it can be in real life or it is in real life. I think that's cool. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, hopefully games don't with that option don't have to always force you to do that just to, you know, for the sake of the uh, mm-hmm. the aces out there. But I like the idea that, you know, you kind of like I like I found the thing in Harvest Moon to be very, very appealing. Just because it was just something different. And it, it, it involved you in different characters' lives and, invo- and it kind of helped with character development in a world where the games I was used to were, you know, side scrollers or very, very linear. And I'm interested to hear your list just to see how many other games there might have been where romance is either an, an option or varied aside from the different, you know, aside from your basic, you know, rescue princess, princess Peach or is it Daisy <laughs> yeah. from a Donkey Kong kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I would agree. I I think it just adds another dimension to the video game, but it only works if you're buying into the main character anyways. So I I think if you are really on board with this character, really engaged with them and really like them, then you want to be a part of that character's life and all aspects of that person's life. And so romance potentially could be a part of that. I don't want to force, you know, that we could have some asexual video game characters. I don't need to force anyone on that, but that's just something that is a fun aspect potentially to play. And there there have been times that I'm, you know, I, I don't care for this romance. Please back away from me, which happened frequently in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I played as Cassandra, and so I decided I was basically going to play as a lesbian. And nice. so I, I mean, but some of them were like really too much. I'm just like, back off, woman. And then there was one that I was like, oh, this could be a good fit. And then I made a terrible, terrible mistake. We had a date set up. And then something else popped up on the screen, so I thought, oh, I'll address this and then I'll come back. But because I addressed that thing, I missed the date. And so that was it. We were I don't done, know if you could get romances was... in Assassin's Creed. I've, I've seen gameplay of that, but not, not that. <laughs> not this. I think this one was the first one. I don't know if the recent one with the Vikings did, carried that on. But yeah, there were there were so many. And you could do, obviously, heterosexual couples as well. The bummer with Cassandra is that if you get the DLCs, all of a sudden she's forced to become a wife and have a child. So I'm like, okay. Mm. So if I played as a lesbian and I decided to do the DLCs, you've suddenly turned me heterosexual and I didn't want to. So anyways, there, it was like a positive and a negative. But it, there was a lot of choice there, which I appreciated. And, and you didn't have to romance anyone if you didn't want to because there are different 
different conversation options and there'd be like a heart by one of them so you could flirt if you wanted to and yeah this, the harvest but, did the same thing with the hearts like they would they would turn different colors and by the time they were red and they were like pounding you, you they were, they were, they were, you know <laughs> you're ready to go <laughs> a couple of, a couple of points i mean we're, we're kind of oh dating in video games i mean we're not really mentioning dating sims which are games where you intentionally date somebody i mean that was that was, that was the thing in gravity falls remember the whole like um yes the thing with Zeus like like I've never played a dating sim because I think I don't think those are ever really translated into America I, I just know them from like J- Japanese culture but have you ever investigated those I haven't I it would be interesting it, it gets to me as a a gamer that likes dynamic experiences and I feel like with that it's just me pushing conversation buttons and not doing too much besides that. So that's why I've not gotten into it. I've found I followed this YouTube channel, PlayStation Access, and one of the people on there really likes this dating sim. I don't I can't recall offhand what the title is, but it is uh Japanese. And it seems like a dating sim, but all of a sudden turns into a horror game because some weird stuff is happening. I was like, oh well that seems really intriguing. Amazing. But just button pushing and reading isn't necessarily my my go-to but right. you would think you would think me being the shipping queen that i would like that sort of thing no yeah that, that makes sense you want you want a little bit more of a on-the-go instinctual challenge rather than just you know guess which response they're going to respond you with it's basically you know you're, you are the npc basically i get that yeah well is it time yeah i believe so i mean it's an interesting universe i don't really talk about gaming too much so i feel <laughs> Welcome. All, yeah, welcome. All these things are uh, <laughs> opening up. So, yeah, I, I think we've romanced the audience enough. I guess so, yeah. Well, who knows? I told Carolyn what we were doing, the uh, professor, uh, my chief Tata correspondent. I told her what we were doing, and she's, she didn't really roll her eyes, <gasps> but she, it was kind of like a disappointed, like, oh, video game. She's still But she said, eyes. well, I'll still listen, though. So at least she's still supporting. So hopefully, even if people aren't necessarily into video games or may not understand it as much, then they will still listen. But Donovan, I, <laughs> I've i learned to keep track. So last year, I went first. So Donovan gets the blessing of going first this year. And I did allow him one honorable mention. So, Donovan, did you have an honorable mention? Yes, I did. It was just only one. Okay. <laughs> only one. Okay. And it was as an honorable mention because I think the, the, the rating reason in my head was I'm pretty sure you would mention this. It was the only one on my list. And I couldn't really commit to it because I've only played a number of the games. But my honorable mention was Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade. Wow. Did you have that on your list? <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a really interesting one. Is there a particular Mortal Kombat that you would say that stems from? I really couldn't, honestly. Okay. I, like I said, I, like my brother and I played uh, Sick Genesis, so we played Mortal Kombat's one through three. We were, I've not really gone into the huge, like, the next-gen crazy-ass Mortal Kombat games. I've really not played those. I, I've read up about them. I've watched videos talking about them, and those get crazier and crazier. Like, I was barely aware of, of um, is it Cassie Cage? Yeah. Like, I knew about her, I think, like five minutes before, I think, whenever you mentioned her, I think, whether it was like, you know, we were showing Harry um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation or whatever. Like, I, I remember you bringing her up, and it was like maybe like a month before you did that that I, I think Denmark told me about her. Because, you know, we're both fans of, this, of the franchise, but like, uh, 
haven't kept a close eye on it, but like learning that they they got divorced and there's this whole like future thing going on. Like it's you know, and like you know, going back to the '95 movie, I've been aware of that ship where he's like, I won't let what happened to Art happen to you. Not to you. Oh, don't you dare try to protect me, Johnny Cage. That's like <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, they're every bit as honorable as as I can honestly give them. Yeah. So this isn't on my list. It's a good it's a good right. call. I really like them. I think that relationship would have stemmed more from the film for sure than from the video games. But yeah, the best thing out of that union definitely is Cassie Cage, who was my favorite in the Mortal Kombat 11 game. But yeah, that's a good, would you, well, <laughs> maybe I can't ask this because it might appear later on your list, but how would you rank this in comparison to Luke and Katana? Yeah, Katana. I was about to say Tali. I'm like, that is not <laughs> right. <Soto's> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, she's hot. I mean, there's probably more. There's more. I mean, I know that, like, I believe in the games that they are, that Katana and Luke are love interests, I think. Yeah. I think that they're more interesting personalities. Like, Sonya Blade has that kind of, like, Chun-Li-esque sort of, like, military background. She has a partner in Jax. Didn't Kano kill her partner originally or something like that? Is that part of the mythology, or, or am I again that confused Street Fighter again? Yeah, no, you're right. Right, right, right. So I, I feel that there's just more interesting things going on with that, where Liu Kang and Katana, yeah, they had their stories, but and you know, I like them. I like both of them, and, and their actors are, you know, some of the sexiest people ever born. But I think <laughs> Johnny and Sonya, the re, one of the part of the reasons I I prefer the '95 movie over the most recent one, which I did enjoy, is that I thought the characters were just far more compelling immediately. And I think they're they're written that way. Like that that little sort of argument scene that I kind of uh, pantomimed is from the first movie. And I think that like Mm -hmm. even though Johnny Cage isn't in um, the recent Mortal Kombat, I think I honestly feel that like they kind of gave Sonya Blade uh, short shrift. No fault of the actress, but I think that like they genuinely underwrote her for no reason. I would agree. Yeah, here's hoping since we know that the sequels is a go yeah. a green light that we'll have Johnny because we did see him in a poster. So here's hoping and we kill off that guy that we don't need. And oh, then yeah. Sonya will get more, more screen. Mortal time. Kombat two, the search for Johnny Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Okay. Well, my honorable mention, I'm not going to speak on the game very much. I just had, this is probably the one game that I would bet a large sum of money is going to be on Donovan's list. It's from Final Fantasy VII. And while I, the remake specifically, while I will say that Jesse Raspberry is my favorite character, I don't ship her with Cloud. Maybe because I I think I would ship her with me or, you know, like best friend shipper or who knows, romantic (laughs) ship. But I, it was a struggle actually. This, the, playing this game. <laughs> Let me tell you, friends. I mean, Donovan and I could have, I kind of want to actually, once the second two parts, when we're like 80 years old, when the second two parts come out to have a podcast about the whole thing. But. Oh, yeah. I was in so much communication with Donovan because there's so much going on here. The shipping was overwhelming. You know, my heart is is filled to bursting. But I was really conflicted because really like Jesse Raspberry, we've got the Tifa situation where you've got, you know, childhood friends, etc. And then you have Aerith who's kind of this uh, unknown quantity, seems really sweet and innocent and everything. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. So that scene that Donovan was talking about where you are supposed to choose 
you know, which which girl to wake up first. And it's not a choice that is just inane and has no purpose because it affects later conversations or certain things. So, you know, I'm sitting I'm I guess as cloud standing there like, oh, what I'm going to do. So I will say out of all of those, if I were to put my money behind one, I think this might be a betrayal, but we'll see what happens later on Dawn's list. I would choose Cloud and Aerith, so that's my honorable mention. And it was really hard because I do like the childhood aspects but of, of Tifa and Cloud. But there was just something really special about Aerith that brought out new dimensions or different dimensions to mm-hmm. Cloud, who, in my opinion is a pretty flat character. Like, he's interesting, but he's not really too interesting. It's more the people around him are giving him dimension and interest. And Aerith, I think, brings out more emotion in him than the other characters do. So when she's missing and then they're saying goodbye, I think she's kind of in a corporate, uh, non-incorporate body. Th- that was a really interesting scene. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, oh, wow, you're an actual human being, Cloud. <laughs> So I kind of wondered uh, what would that what would that look like, you know, if it were an actual romance. And I just thought there was something special and beautiful about it. Of course, it's just part one, so I have no idea. I've not looked at anything because I don't want to be spoiled. But just thinking about what the next two parts will look like. So that's my honorable mention. But yeah, I think compared to the ones that are on my list, I can't be like gung ho, gung ho for them. So that's why I fell to that. Yeah, you're still new to this so, FF7 world. Yeah. Can I, I? I still have your voicemail. <laughs> you have me. <laughs> yeah. So especially, yeah. One of the weirdest moments was when I went to that city. What is it called? Wall Market. Wall Market, and it's just a seedy, seedy city. <laughs> And weird stuff is going on, and I think I paused the game, and I called Donovan. Donovan's not answering, so I decided to leave him a voicemail. This must have been after the massage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and basically I was just like, what is going on right now? And then you have, yeah, the Don acting all skeezy. It was a lot. It was a lot for a first-time gamer, a uh, first-time Final Fantasy gamer. I thought I was just going to be playing this action-adventure game. Didn't know I was going to be doing, like, Grand Theft Auto. So, yes, that was an interesting time. I was, I was yeah, you actually had me sweating. I, 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 I couldn't tell if you were, like, genuinely upset or if you were just, like, yanking my chain. And I remember, who was I talking to? Maybe I was, was I talking, I forget if I was talking to Carolyn for some reason. Because I really talk about, talk to her on voice without you. Or was my friend Kelly or somebody? But you were going on about like how Don Corneo's henchmen were like, you know, menacing Tiffa and Aerith. And like, it's like, you know, me, the guy, the man in the conversation, I was like, well, they beat him up. You know, they're not, they weren't really in danger. But I didn't know if like the threat of sexual violence was enough to just like piss you off or whatever. But no, I, 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 it was a little scary. Well, yeah, I suppose if you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But like, um, I mean, even in the, in the, um, the original PlayStation game, which I think, in several instances, is actually darker in the remake. There was never any sort of like, um, that was never going to happen. Yeah. I think it was just like, oh, why are they in this situation? You know, I wish they weren't. But I also had faith 
you know, especially Antifa, I think, because Aerith is more of a passive fighter. I think she's more defensive. and She's, and she's the healer of the, of the like party. That. Yeah, so I was like, well, I have confidence that the ladies will be okay, but I wish they weren't in this situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I, I, and my, my phone can translate the uh, the voicemails. I just have all these, like, Donovan Morgan Grant, you know why I'm called. I want to strangle you. And I was like, oh, my God, she's hot about this. <laughs> You know why I'm calling. Yeah, it was. Oh man. Well, can't wait for part two and three. Me either. Oh yeah. Well, how long did it take? Ten years for this one? Uh, I suppose. I mean, I suppose. I mean, I, I mean, how? Uh, since they first showed that introductory scene. I mean, at least since. Wasn't it like 2007 or something? Uh, I don't yeah. even know. It was something crazy. So in 20. 20- 27 we'll have part two and then 37 when the world ends we'll see well that's it for me on the honorable mansion so if you want to let the rankings begin with your number here's where the challenge starts because uh this this game is a game is from a game series that i absolutely love but it is like one of the most famously convoluted game series in the universe (laughs) my number five comes from the 2005, I believe, 2000, mid-2000s PlayStation 2 classic Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Look at this scar. This is proof that I was once a mother. I gave up my body and my child for my country. There is nothing left inside me now. Nothing at all. No hatred, not even regret. And yet sometimes at night, I can still feel the pain creeping up inside me, slithering through my body like a snake. I've never talked this much about myself before. Thanks. Thanks for listening to me. One must die, and one must live. No victory, no defeat. The survivor will carry on the fight. It is our destiny. The one who survives will inherit the title of boss. And the one who inherits the title of boss will face an existence of endless battle. I'll give you ten minutes. In 10 minutes, MIGs will come and bomb the hell out of this place. If you can beat me in less than 10 minutes, you'll be able to escape in time. Let's make this the greatest 10 minutes of our lives, Jack. Boss? You're a soldier. Finish your mission. Prove your loyalty. Face me. Have you heard of the Metal Gear Solid franchise? I have. I know more than I would have a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I won't 
I probably won't be lost, but yeah, you you give the explanation. Well, I am those. not. I I refuse to like get in the details of this because it would be too long. <laughs> and quite frankly, like as much as I love this series, uh, it's just so it's crazy. It's not as complicated as Mortal Kombat, but it's 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 very detailed. And in this game, there is actually a much more direct and traditional love interest between. Uh, I, you're you're playing the character you're playing is Naked Snake. And you do find it's, – it's very – it's actually very inspired by James Bond. The infamous, uh, notorious creator Hideo Kojima was, is a huge James Bond fan. And this is sort of him doing kind of James Bond because it takes place during the Cold War in 1964. And you do have a traditional love interest uh, in, the, in the spy Eva, but that's not who I'm going for. I am going for the – or at least my ship between Naked Snake and his former mentor uh, turned arch enemy, the boss. And uh, the boss was the, the woman who trained Naked Snake in the art of CQC, um, which is close quarters combat. You know, the way to take somebody down without, you know, uh, firearms. She's the one who trained his entire Cobra unit. I think she co-founded like – or maybe – I don't want to get the mythology too mixed up. I think she had a hand in um, gearing up to create uh, the Fox unit. Which, uh, because this is sort of a prequel game, even though it's Metal Gear Solid 3, the series generally follows a solid snake. And Naked Snake, by the end of the game, you realize that you're playing Snake's father, who turns out to be um, his arch enemy, Big Boss. But this is one of those tragic uh, relationships. Honestly, all my all my uh, choices in, this, in my list are tragic to some degree or another. Oh, no. Um, I, I noticed that. I was like, oh, that's, that's what makes it interesting. <laughs> The boss is a woman in her early 40s who is a legendary uh, American uh, military soldier. She founded the Cobra Unit. She founded the. I mean, it was a group of. It was a group of mercenaries that she trained that that you end up fighting as boss battles uh, that go by these code names like the fear, the end, the pain. She's the mother of Solid Snake's arch enemy, uh, Revolver Ocelot. Spoilers. Although if you play the game, it won't be spoilers. And as the game begins, um, the CIA enlists uh, Naked Snake to travel to – is it Russia? It's basically a, a Russian – it's some kind of uh, foreign jungle to retrieve a kidnapped Russian um, scientist. This is, this is like you know, 64, the Cold War is still going on. They don't they want to prevent nuclear war. And I remember seeing the cutscenes of this. As you retrieve the scientists early on in the game, you you uh, you're on top of this big wooden bridge, or you know between these two cliffs, and you run into uh, the boss, and you know snakes like boss, and she's uh, she's handing she's holding in both hands suitcases of nuclear warheads, and she's like snake, I've decided to defect to the Russians, and this is my this is my welcoming present, and so you know snake snake is heartbroken. She's like you know you you tried me taught me everything I know. I love you, mommy. And she proceeds to like beat the crap out of him. <laughs> she breaks his arm. She tosses him over the bridge. Later on, she meets him. She gets she has to drop on him uh, at nighttime. She like mounts a horse and like the horse steps on his hand. <laughs> Later on in the game, uh, uh, Snake is captured and tortured by the uh, the game's enemy, Colonel Volgan, who is a Russian soldier with electric superpowers, and he's and he questions Boss's loyalty, so he says, you know, to prove yourself to me, you must cut out his eyes. And Snake famously has an eye patch, so you're like, oh crap. Turns out that like she's able to sort of kind of get the better of him because like throughout the game, she's insisting that you know she's not defected, but she's she's still working for the Russians. 
And so, I mean, long story short, he gets his eye shot out anyway. But you are but the game ends with you confronting the boss, and and she says, you know, come at me with everything you've got. Uh, if you if you really consider yourself a true soldier, are you are you a soldier to your feelings or to the mission or to me? And the entire, I mean, Snake's a very gruff, like stoic persona. He's a real man's man generally, but he's just like trembling because, like, you know, he loves the boss, and the boss taught him everything he knew. And, you know, when you do defeat her, she gives you her trademark weapon uh, is a gun uh, called the Patriot. And basically, you're given the option to shoot her or shoot her. Like, you can't do anything but shoot her. It's a, it just depends on when you press the press the button. And you learn more about her after the mission in the end of the game, how she got pregnant and, and uh, went into labor. I think she was like she was hired to like carry out an assassination and she gave up the baby who ended up being one of solid snakes enemies and it turns out this entire mission was basically she was sent by the americans to work as a double agent pretending to defect to russia and basically be set up as a patsy to prevent world war so she'll go down in history as a traitor but she actually saved the world and it's just like that's that's really really messed up and because snake found all that out after he killed her that was sort of what led naked snake down the line uh, to become Big Boss and to become the big enemy of the Metal Gear Solid series uh, universe, and so it's a it, the whole game is kind of a of a tragic story in that way. And again, even though he has a more traditional like you know Asian Triple X esque love interest in Ava, I found him in the boss to be far more compelling. And there's a lot of history that we don't see leading up to it because I think she said at one point, you know, you know, you know me better than you know any other friends, any of your romances, any of your any of your lovers. You know me and. You know you can't beat me or whatever. She kind of taunts you the entire time, but she's very, 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 like, scary, but also very, very compelling. And I think she uh, earns a place in my number five. I've seen gameplay of this and discussions of that boss battle, I guess pun intended, with her. And at the very end, she's in this, like, field of white, and it's, yeah. it's very tragic looking. But, yeah, the worst part of it is, like, you were tricked, you know, that she hadn't defected and she was on the right side all along. And... Yeah, she's she's apparently visually based off of Charlotte Rampling. Oh, interesting. Which, I mean, there's, there's a lot of – I mean, even though this is a Japanese-created game, there's a lot of American uh, visual influences in this because Snake himself is based off of Kurt Russell from Escape, Escape from New York. Uh, I think whichever came first, and um, I think even Hideo Kojima or one of the production designers said that like they could see Sharon Stone playing this character, but she's a very like stoic, seriously looking woman with a big like scar in her chest. Like she kind of has that sort of like Catwoman sort of like unzipped cleavage thing to kind of show the scar that she had because she had to have a C-section to give birth to what later became Revolver Ocelot. And the weird thing is, is that after she dies, that that scar snakes its way off of her body. It's like there's a, there's a ton of magic realism in this series that I love. Like for instance, one of the boss battles is that you fight all the ghosts of the men that you kill, and if you happen to like you know tranquilize or knock out the majority of them, that kind of depends on how long that boss battle is. And so there's a and a lot of this is unexplained. Like you know, no one's being like given superpowers or whatever. They they just have these weird supernatural abilities. So it's like, was the boss supernatural? Was she you know she's a re- regular woman or or what have you? But I thought that like um. The fact that like her relationship with Naked Snake later on Big Boss informs in many ways the entirety of the Metal Gear Solid series. And um, yeah, no, I, I, have, I had a fond time revisiting this when I was coming up with my list. Very cool. I think, he, I think he'd like it. I think if, if you ever gave this a shot. Yeah, the, the three of them. One of my friends had sent me the fifth one, I think. And 
I ended up never never playing it, but I know it's stealth heavy. Oh yeah, though that that is that is um tactical espionage action. Like that is the um bread and butter of this series. It's it's a, it's a stealth action game. Yeah. And it seems like the first well, Hideo Kojima seems I mean, seems just like a a great artist yes. and a genius as well at games, but I had heard some things that the original did with the PlayStation 1 disc and there was a clue like in the in the jacket of this, the disc or something like that. So kind of cool. there's this one boss battle where who is you're fighting in a very, very old sniper called the end. And he's so old that if you, if you turn the game off in the middle of the battle and not play the game for a week and come back, he'll have died of old age. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, this game, this game's okay. legendary. Yeah. So it's pretty meta, I guess, almost like comments on gaming. Oh yeah, totally. As you're gaming. Very cool. Well, my number five is a bit of a cheat. It's a bit of a cheat. I have you always cheat here. So, I, <laughs> hey, it's my show. I can do what I want. So, number five is Jill Valentine and Carlos Oliveira from the Resident Evil Three remake, which came out in 2010 by Capcom. Hey, Captain. This fine young lady could use our help. Carlos, you didn't even think to ask fine young lady her name? She is an elite operative of RPD, Special Tactics and Rescue Service. Her name is something Valentine. It's Jill. Nice to meet you, Jill. I am UBCS, platoon leader Mikhail Victor. My team was sent here to rescue civilians. Right. How's that going for you? The city is completely cut off, isolated. Most of the hundred thousand civilians will wind up dead. Uh, correction, undead. My platoon has suffered serious losses. Just keeping them alive is more than I can manage. Well, you can thank your corporate overlords for that. Yes. Well, we are doing all we can. If we can get this subway train moving, we can evacuate some survivors. But we need help. My men cannot do this alone. I'm in. But I am on their side, not yours. Oh, hey. It's cool. We all want the same thing. Thank you, Jill. All right, super cop. Here you go. We can use this to stay in contact. I know what a radio is. Carlos, I've reached the main avenue. Which way do I go? See a big transmission tower? That's the substation. You'll have to circle around through an alley to your right to get there. You mean the alley that's on fire? Maybe. Surely a tall drink of water like yourself can put out a few flames. The reason why I call it is it a cheat is because this isn't probably a canon couple. I'm not 
being I'm not forcing them together. I'm not being unrealistic, but I think primarily people put Jill and Chris together since they were both on stars. They were in the first one. They pop up together. So I think that's primarily the ship that they put Jill in here. But with this this game, so if I just look at this game, it's it's all very reasonable. So this is a sequel direct, you know, directly from the first game where Jill is a part of that. And it's a couple days after they're in that mansion in the Arkway Mountains. And then it's also happening 24 hours prior to Resident Evil 2. So there's a lot of like everything's really quick with the, the first three. And it takes place on September 28th, 1998. So Raccoon City, the majority of them are the citizens are mutated because of this outbreak caused by the T virus. And we know the pharmaceutical company umbrella is behind it. Jill knows that she is a former member of the raccoon police department's special tactics and rescue service. Also known as stars, which nemesis says a lot. Stars. Nice. And she's attacked in her apartment by this intelligent bioweapon known as the Nemesis T-Type. And so she, that's how it all begins. She has kind of these uh, weird dreams within a dream. And then she is attacked and she's running out. She sees uh, another fellow officer, Brad Vickers, but he's killed. And she's just like trying to make her way through the city and find some place. And she ends up getting rescued, you know, somewhat. Or he at least says over this way and, and leads her into a station of a subway. And uh, Carlos is an umbrella biohazard countermeasure service mercenary, UBCS. And he does not know that umbrella is not on the up and up. So when he first says this is the company that I'm with, then she gets really upset. And she's like, you're the one who calls all this. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he brings her on board a train and uh, another guy knows who she is and they end up helping each other. So they're in constant communication for the most part throughout the game. She's got some things she has to do, like restore power. They're trying to get this train started so they can get out of the city. She's constantly being attacked by Nemesis, which is a really... (laughs) Heart, I mean, Mr. X and Nemesis, like any of those that chase after you, they make me really nervous. But there are times where there are fun communications between the two of them. And pretty quickly, I think that there's a camaraderie between the two of them. And she gets back to the train and he's got his own mission to actually find Dr. Nathaniel Bard, who is an umbrella scientist and he may have developed a vaccine. So when she's about to depart on this train or they're getting ready for it, she says, this isn't the last one out, right? And then he makes this comment, which is hilarious, that says, you know, don't worry, I won't leave you in a cruel, cold, Carlosless world. So it's just like sometimes she'll roll her eyes at him and, and those are like kind of campy things to say, but I enjoyed it. She actually gets infected, I think during her second boss fight with Nemesis cool. and he finds her and brings her to the hospital and then you switch over and you're playing as him and he is just determined to find Dr. Bard and the virus to get it to Jill and and then later on you're Jill for the the end of it, but he's still with you, leading you through everything. He'll come in at crucial moments and help you out. And at the very end, there's a mercenary that's been 
looking at all these interactions between Jill, I should say observing all the interactions between Jill and Nemesis and, and taking data. And it seems like, oh, he may have done, he, he's, he's trying to sell it clearly to, to a highest bidder, you know, military types and always trying to have a bioweapon. And he ends up having Carlos at gunpoint. And then you have to save him as Jill, which is really great. But they're, they're just fun flirtations between the two of them. And it's fun that it starts off really antagonistic, one-sided, because she had been through all of this stuff earlier. She knows of Umbrella. He doesn't know why she's so upset, and he doesn't know the backstory behind Umbrella. But then they work together, and he's quick to respect her because I think a woman, even though once he finds out who she is and stars is respectable, I think that maybe knee-jerk reaction would be, oh, you know, a woman, she's probably not too... Tough or anything, but he calls her super cop, and he you know believes she can do all this stuff and and is with her. And then those flirtatious moments, like I said, and then him really having concern for her when she gets gets in trouble during the second boss battle with Nemesis, and really wanting to get to her, even though they're stuck at the police station, and then getting that virus and everything. So no. Like physical romance happens between the two of them. They end up leaving the city when a nuclear bomb is is dropped, so at least they survive. But I really enjoyed their interactions, and I bought into that. And and like I said, I haven't played as Chris Redfield or or seen those, so this is really all I can say about these two characters or Jill specifically. But it it was a nice dimension adding it to like a lighter dimension to add to a, you know a horror a horror game <laughs> and something that you know I'm clenched the entire time so it was like a break of like oh look here's Carlos being Carlos and saying she can put out a fire because she's a tall drink of water you know just fun things mm-hmm. like that so that's why it has made my number 5 this this is Resident Evil 3 you said yes it looks really modern did it did, it, did they update it like when did this come out they did do a remake in 2020, yes. Okay, I see. So, yeah, I, I see there's a shirt. So if you looked at the original, yeah, it wouldn't look like that at all. Y- yeah, they did the safety familiar solid. Things like that. Um, that there's a shirtless Carlos mod for RE3 as well. I saw that. I was like, how did I not know about that? But those are always weird. When I see those or when I see video game characters shirtless, with the exception might be Peter Parker in the Marvel Spider-Man game, but they always seem like, disproportionate to their head like did you not work on their body enough i don't know but anyway <laughs> they got a different hornier animator to work on those <laughs> you mentioned earlier like i think you've only played like the latter how many of the resident evil games have you played yeah so i would say that the reason why i've enjoyed them is because of the resident evil 2 remake i ended up there was a sale and i think uh, my nephew gave me a gift card for playstation network so i'm like well i'm going to give this a shot because it looks really good and i really enjoyed it and i've attached myself to claire redfield who's my favorite character and then after that i was interested in playing resident evil 8 which is the most recent that had come out but because it was a sequel to seven with the protagonist that I don't like, I thought, well, I might as well play this, which is first person. So two, seven, eight, and then I got three, the three remakes. So just four so far. Who's the protagonist you don't like? Ethan. Ethan Winters. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. He's a he's a dud. He's a silent protagonist, but he is such a Oh that guy, yeah, yeah, I remember you mentioned that. 
Yeah, you can ask Harry how much I dislike him. He'll always, yeah, he sent me, Harry the Troll, he sent me like a, a nice little image to say, you know, good luck on your first day of grad school. And it's Ethan, and he's got like a, a rose or something in front of his face. And he's like, you know, Ethan wanted to say, but he's shy because they never show his face in ridiculous ways. They avoid showing his face, but whatever. This isn't the Ethan Winter show, but I don't like him. Is this one looks like kind of like. <laughs> Walking Dead things where, like, the romance is made – maybe not the romance, but, like, you know, the possibility for romance is made a bit more enticing because the setting is so dark, do you think? It might be. I mean, for me, it was a break and some levity added to that. And I don't know in any of the in any of the games, with the exception maybe of 7 and 8, because Mia and Ethan are married, that you're, like, not literally a couple with somebody. But, you know, I think five is Chris and I think an agent named like Shiva or something like that. And so you're put together and it seems like, yeah, there's an intimacy between these partners as they fight this outbreak. So I, I think it might be a way for your brain and heart to like find some solace in, in or consolation in what what is going on around you. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not one to really necessarily think of pursuing these games because I'm a wimp, but <laughs> the idea that there would be romance. I mean, that, that sounds like something that, that would be found solely in the movies, but I know the movies have been hijacked by Paul W. Anderson's wife, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I mean, like, you know, they do look like a rather sexy pair, so I can see the appeal there. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> excellent. 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 So if we are moving on to our number four, mm-hmm. I can start. You know, I think all my games have been created by Japan, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's just my track this this episode. But from Final Fantasy X, which was the first Final Fantasy done on PlayStation 2, uh, my ship is the main romance of FF10, although not the only one, between uh, the main character, Titus, and the other main character, Yuna. Right. Now let's see what you can do. Huh? Come on. What? Come on, show me. So I'm really going to try to, like, make it succinct. 
Titus is this spiky-haired pretty boy who a lot of people say he looks like Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's voiced by James Arnold Taylor in English, and people find him annoying. Is he the one that goes, ah, ah, ah? You oh, yeah, you'll hear about laugh. that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's that guy. And um, he's a star blitzball player, which is basically underwater soccer. Uh, in the middle of a blitzball game, he is brought to the uh, – he's basically – brought to the world Spira where he encounters a group of essentially like like protectors of this summoner named Yuna and essentially Yuna's job inherited from her father is to combat the the world's most reigning evil sin which is basically this giant monster that's going to destroy the world and legend has it that like she has to sacrifice her life to defeat sin like they they can defeat sin uh, if she Summons like the final Aeon spin the losses that play this, but she'll have to sacrifice her life to do so. And throughout the game, um, her feelings about this are very. I think she's she's a good girl. You know, she's she's soft spoken, she's quiet, and she does what she's told. But there's a very sort of like apparent sort of like unease about all this, and Cloud kind of gets her to open up a bit and talk about her feelings more. Uh, the apex of all of this is a memorable scene in which, uh, at a lake, a very beautifully animated lake, um, they talk about her destiny and whether she's able to do this without regrets or whether she's able to to come back from this and survive. And Cloud's like, not Cloud. Tidus is like, of course you'll survive. You know, we'll we'll do this and that, and I'll take you to see a bliss ball game. And tries to get her open up, and then she starts crying because of you know the uh, the fatalism of it all. And as she's crying, she looks into Titus's beautiful Japanese eyes, and they kiss. And there's this entire musical montage of them kissing and making out underwater. There's this thing about this game where there's a lot of underwater scenes, but these characters don't seem to mind that they're underwater for so long. So you're watching the sequence saying, like, wow, this is really romantic. How are they not suffocating? And, yeah, he says, you know, I will, I will, even if we survive this, I'll stay with you forever. I'll stay by your side. Now, this is where we're getting spoilers, because mm-hmm. Final Fantasy games have a tendency to, to do twists, and that's the same thing for FF7. Um, turns out that Tidus is actually a sort of, like, dream spirit from the civilization of citizens that were killed, like, a hundred years prior by Sin. So he's kind of, like, not really existing in their plane, and if they defeat Sin, he's going to disappear. And so Yuna doesn't want to do this, but eventually they learn to defeat Sin without her having to sacrifice herself. But Titus does fade off, and and there's a bit of a there's a bit of a fan uh, controversy over this because the English dub has her last words to him saying "I love you," whereas in the Japanese it was apparently "Thank you." So it's like, oh mm. no, which one makes more sense? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, but this story doesn't end there because. This game has a, this one's with rare F, uh, Final Fantasy games. It has a sequel that I didn't play, but I do know the plot. Final Fantasy two or Final Fantasy ten two takes place ten years after the original, in which Yuna, one of the other players, uh, Riku, and a new character Pain have um, become pop stars. <laughs> I think men may in the future, <laughs> and oh, uh, it's it, a game that acquires. I think they're like um, sphere hunters. And essentially, she is sort of enticed to find a way to bring Titus back. Uh, Titus, Titus, it goes, it goes both ways as well. Spoilers, she does. And so you, you can find the scene, or if you play Final Fantasy 2, 10-2 to its logical conclusion, she finds a way to bring 
Titus back just as he was with his memories and everything. And even if something happens where he fades away or they're separated again, they'll always be together, at least in soul and spirit. And they live happily ever after if you play that sequel. Or if you saw the many, many cutscenes of them singing and dancing and decided not to, you won't ever see them together again. But that is the story of Titus and Yuna for Final Fantasy X. Ooh. <laughs> wow. I've seen it. I've seen it. Well, I've seen people talk about it. So it seems like a, a cute couple, but probably I would get my heart broken if I just played that first one. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a really cool twist with Titus, but like – um. This was one of those ones that were, that was showing the power of the PlayStation 2 because the graphics, I think, still are very, very good. I mean, specifically the cutscene graphics. Mm-hmm. I mean, the in-game graphics are a bit dated, but the cutscene graphics are gorgeous. And one of the early scenes has Yuna doing a summoning spell. And I remember when we were we were at Comic Con one year and we were walking alongside sort of like the sidewalk near uh, nearby Fountain, and there was a Yuna cosplayer doing the summoning dance. That I stopped and like and like sort of like started recording because it was it was a, a gorgeous display. Yeah, this is this is a first like overt romance uh, in the series, and I was reading some uh, background on it. And apparently, the animators were a bit nervous animating the kissing scene because they never actually did anything like that in their gaming careers. Um, mm. And also, like they uh, they were both being made to be like the most attractive characters imaginable. So they they figured people want to see them get together. But no, it's it's a nice romance. It's a, it's an explicit romance. I mean. Yuna is kind of like her function is kind of like Aerith in that like she's also a healer, but she's sort of the main character of the overall story. If that makes sense, like you're playing as Titus initially, but the plot is mostly concerned around Yuna and her destiny. And of course, in the sequel, she is Yuna is the main character. So I think that like any sort of concerns of how a, a, a romance might be done in a plot line is sort of resolved by having a two game romantic storyline conclude by the end by, by piloting different characters at different times yeah I, i've heard that kissing scenes are notoriously difficult to animate in video games because they look very awkward which i've i've seen my fair share of ones that look bad one on my list does not look bad so i'm happy to say but yeah i've not played this is this pretty dynamic action uh fighting wise or is it turn-based no well the i think it's i think it's turn-based yeah it's, tur- it's turn-based but i think this is the last one they did that because you no know, by the time they got to final fantasy 14 it was like it was like you know in real time or whatever but uh, this i think this mm-hmm. was turn-based i know that the fighting system whereas ff7 used the materia system this uses the sphere system it was still turn-based but i think it was it was rapidly evolved from the much more maybe comparatively static version of of uh the PlayStation, but it was it was still turn based essentially. You can still find fantasy Final Fantasy games, so you still have chocobos and spells and <gasps> such. Yes, oh the chocobo. I have nothing further. on No, that. I mean I understand. It's, it's it's again like these are sort of like niche games. But again, when the PlayStation Two launched, like Final Fantasy Seven was a gigantic seller for PlayStation One, and FF Ten was the same way for PlayStation Two. It was kind of seen as a classic, and I think even back then, like you know, like there was I remember. In commercials, there was a, a lot of sequences. There's a one at one point, Yuna almost marries the villain Seymour, and like Titus mounts a rescue, and they're kind of like sliding down these poles across the air, and like she this, she's in this big wedding dress and everything like that. I think that like it has a lot of like um almost soap opera tropes in it, but the animation is so beautiful that like it, it does mm. it does very very easily suck you in. And again, when you fi- see Final Fantasy X two, I wasn't mad, but I was it, it was sort of a general like you know. I think fandom was generally startled 
by the turn of like, you know, you know, went from this very, very like, you know, kind of good girl sort of like uh, role to this girl who was basically doing like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera dance moves. And it's like, where'd this come from? But it was, it was fun. I mean, the character was still the same. She was just, you know, doing something different. So I, sh- I should probably she, play that one these days. She came out of her shell. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Well, this works really well transitionally because my next one also has a character named Yuna. Really? <laughs> my number four is Yuna and Jin Sakai from Ghost of Tsushima, oh. which was a 2020 game by Circle Punch. You've come a long way since you pulled me off Komodo Beach. You were so heavy I could barely drag you. Had to strip you half naked just to reach town. (laughs) I wouldn't be here without you, you know. I can't lose you, Jin. After everything we've been through, everyone we've lost. I can't. I have to stop the con. No, you don't. You could find a boat, sail somewhere quiet, while your uncle fights his samurai war. Do you really want that? No. If I fall, promise me you'll keep fighting. You're a real bastard, Jin Sakai. You should get some rest. Not yet. Let's sit just a little longer. I had no expectations when I played this of shipping. I was shocked, in fact, that there was somewhat shipping. But uh, this this game takes place in 1274 when a Mongol fleet led by Khotan Khan, and this is the second time I'm talking about this game because I was on the quinoa talking about it in my year-end review. But anyways, uh, Khotan Khan invades the Japanese island of Tsushima and local samurai lord Jin Sakai and his uncle Lord Shimura lead the island samurai in an attempt to repel the invaders. But this battle ends in disaster. The samurai are all killed. Shimura is captured and Jin Jin is severely wounded and left for dead. And he is found and revived by Yuna. So this is like the first thing. A thief. And and I think the clip that I have, she actually says, like, you were so heavy I had to basically strip you. Which for the samurai, probably he just had that white. I don't know what it's called, but it looks like a diaper. But the white cloth around his uh, privates, I'm sure. But anyway, she did drag him from the beach. And she informs him that the island has fallen. And she ends up later helping him recover. And he storms Koton's stronghold at Castle Kaneda in an attempt to rescue his uncle. But he's defeated. And he's thrown off the castle bridge, though he survives. And... From then on, basically, Yuna is – I was thinking about this as as I was making my list and considering this particular couple. I would say she is a positive version of Lady Macbeth. So she does, of course, have flaws, but she's really the – 
yeah, she's really the one that gives him the idea and prods him into becoming the ghost because being a samurai all out in the open, you're having standoffs with other people. There's lots of honor in the combat, but she says, you can't, you can't do it this way. The Mongols are completely different. You are outnumbered. You know, the samurai are basically at a disadvantage. Many of them are, are dead. You're kind of, you know, a rare species now. So you have to take on stealth aspects. And he doesn't like this. Like he really, it's really hard for him in the beginning because he feels like there's no honor in this. It just goes against his code, but she's, she gives him many reasons for why it works out. And so there's tension there just between ideals. And of course, she's just being realistic with everything. There are several different missions that you go on with her. Uh, they meet up often. Her brother, who becomes a major minor character named Taka, is a great swordsmith and so helps uh, make some weaponry for him and then Taka just becomes enamored of Jin and wants to help him and, and unfortunately he gets killed and you hear all about their history and how Yuna saved both of them from just this like terrible situation of neglect and everything and so this is a real heartbreaking moment and now Yuna of course hates Jin like this was your fault classic but then in the end <laughs> I know she just always comes back to to Jin and helps him. And at one point, they come up with a plan to use Wolfsbane to poison an entire camp of a pretty big stronghold of the Mongols. And his uncle does not like this. Like, this was a great way to wipe them out so that these small forces that uh, the Japanese have are able, or the, the citizens of Tsushima have, they're able to level the playing field and once his uncle finds out about this he's like there was no honor in doing this <laughs> whatever he did which i'm still kind of reconciling you know what is the the code of the samurai and the honor and everything especially because you prevented many people from dying in in using this tactic but the shogun wants to know like how this happened and because his uncle wants to protect him, he tells Jin to blame it on Yuna because she doesn't have any honor anyway. She was a thief originally, and he refuses to do that, which I think both speaks to his character as a man being, you know, holding himself accountable. Like these were, this was my decision. I did it. And also that he, he cares for Yuna. At the end, once everything happens, which the the big spoiler is, of, of course, they're able to push out for the most part. I mean, there's probably going to be a sequel. Mongol control and, and he does defeat Koten Khan. He and his uncle have this intense duel at the very end. And of course you win. And he there's an option where either you kill the uncle because the uncle asks to die honorably or you leave him alive so that that family name can go on, but, you know, you treated him disrespectfully. I ended up killing him because I thought, well, he's asking for this. <laughs> and then you, Jin, it was really hard. I sat there. It was like another situation where I kind of like sat there think weighing my options. But he ends up living in a shack because his title was wrested from him and everything. And at the very end, Yuna comes to him and they end up discussing, you know, what what's the next step for liberating Tsushima because the Mongols... um are still around, so it's not 100% clear. But just to say, Yuna was played in the English because you can also play in 
Kurosawa. Yeah, so you can play in Kurosawa mode. Well, that's black and white, but there's also a Japanese audio that you could do. So in English, she is played by Sumali Montano, and then in Japanese, Yu Mutsino, and then Jin is played in the English by Daisuke Suji, and in the Japanese by Kazuya Nakai. So again, I was not expecting, I wasn't playing this game for any shipping. But just how I think one of the strong points of video games is that shipping just develops naturally or organically and that these two people are just completely opposite, you know, honor versus no honor in in terms of the worldview over there and how she helps him. She pulls him off of the beach. My gosh. Nurses him back to health is giving, like encouraging him, but also saying like, you're probably going to have to put your honor aside in order to save Tsushima and your uncle constantly coming back to him. Kind of a betrayal happens, you know, in her mind with her brother getting killed, but forgiving him and helping him out with all these crucial battles and, and having really serious discussions. And there were a couple like near, near kissing opportunities, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not lying about that, but nothing has happened. And I don't know if there were a sequel, whether I could say a sequel, whether I could say that they would end up together. But what I had seen was really beautiful. And it's I think it was pretty realistic in in terms of what a relationship actually looks like, that it's not just like happily ever after and everything's really easy. But there are some tough things that people go through. And then, of course, what does a relationship look like? Not necessarily in wartime, but in because that almost suggests that the sides were equal. But in invasion time, you know, when they're when the Japanese are at a disadvantage and you really don't have time for that, but you can express how you feel towards each other in your actions. So I really enjoyed it. I really love that game. I, I can't speak highly enough about that. It would be my game of the year, if not for Last of Us. I know that that is an opinion that is controversial. Many people say that this one is the game of the year. But, but, <laughs> but it definitely, it definitely surprised me and just added to one of the reasons why I loved it. Have you read the, um, Wattpad fanfic Kintsugi, which is a Jin and Yuna <laughs> follow up after killing his uncle? No. Did you just pull this up now? Yes. <laughs> or have you read it? Read it. I wrote it. I bet you. Well, did. it does have the tag "Friends to Lovers," so I imagine that that you're, oh, you're not you're not alone those. in wanting to see them um, get closer together. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know if it's realistic or not, but I'll I'll hold out hope that something something may happen. I mean, there are some real like surprising moments. I mean, this one woman you're like helping out the entire time and you've had a history with her. She's kind of a mentor in a way, like all of a sudden betrays you. It's like really, it's yeah. And and it's an open world game. And of course, there are all those missions that you can do. And I was just focused because I was renting it. I was just focusing on main missions and then chunks of these character driven story arcs. And it was just really fully fleshed out and and oh man isn't it's whoo that game this is a gorgeous (laughs) looking game and when you were talking about this it really is on qnla last year and i was like googling it what i saw was typically uh like like gameplay images i didn't Mm -hmm. really i didn't see a lot of the stuff with like the the character models and like the cutscenes and stuff and i'm looking at now i'm like man this looks great Yeah. Like I love the designs, yeah. I love the the colors, the character designs. The actress Sumili Montano, do you know if Yuna was like visibly based off of her or did they just like come up with a character design and then like hire Montana to to, to voice her? 
Yeah, I think the character design came first, but I I wouldn't be able to say I know for sure. Hmm. And like, do you said that like a, a sequel is prob- more probable than not? I think so. I mean, this was so successful, and, and Sucker Punch is a successful company, so I feel like there's a potential. I think there was a DLC, but because I didn't play it, I didn't mention Yuna's role in that, but she does uh, pop up as well. But, I mean, the Mongols aren't gone, so I feel like, oh, you could potentially continue. This looks similar. I mean, I don't want to repeat my point from Resident Evil, but this does look like a similar situation where, I mean, the graphics remind me a, a little bit of uh, The Last of Us, you know, which is... Not a nice game. <laughs> Not a nice you know, game. You know, what an understatement. Yeah, yeah. I was watching some oh. gameplay of The Last of Us 2, and I was kind of like, this is... <laughs> I thought I I could imagine how disturbing this was, but good God. There was actually kind of a cool moment where, like, uh, I saw as Ellie, you um, take a hostage, try to shoot him, but you're out of bullets, so you just toss a gun away and just slash his throat. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that is cold blood. Yeah, little Ellie is all grown up for sure. Yeah, she's all grown up and, and um crazy this one i mean this one well how does this well if i'm making the point of you know this is a dark story where you know romance kind of makes it a little lighter how would you compare tone wise between this last of us and resident evil 3 (sighs) i i would say oh interesting not as dark as last of us just because that it's it's pitch black it's serious obviously invasions and um you see some pretty terrible things go on and then with Resident Evil, it's hard with those because you take them seriously, but not too seriously. Because I, I think zombies, I don't want to be offensive because I know people love zombies. But I, I, I think I said on my Resident Evil 8 special on this podcast that, you know, I don't play Resident Evil necessarily for the stories. You know, it's it's fun for me. And of course, there are intense moments. But I would say I guess it's it's kind of in the middle. But it's so it's realistic. So without being dire and soul wrenching, I think uh, Tsushima gets across what what it was like back then during that particular invasion for the people, the inhabitants and then fighting the Mongols and things like that. If that answers your question. No, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to assume a, uh, a requisite tone. And it's not really a matter of which is darker, but just, you know, I suppose. It mm-hmm. just falls in line with one of those where, like, oh, there's – there's because I, th- I think romance automatically implies hope, right? Hope of happiness. So mm-hmm. just having that there kind of gives it a thought of, like, you know, just sort of a, a tonal flexibility, a tonal expansion that adds to the overall yeah. story rather than turning the game into a romance like, let's say, they did with Final Fantasy VII. Well, I'll, I'll speak about that Yeah. Later. It's nice to have... I know that you you have said in the past, and I think you repeat, like, I'm just shocked at, you know, some of the stuff that you want, you know, kind of the, the dark things that I've seen. And I'm able to somewhat manage it, manage it as long as there are breaks, you know? So are there moments of levity or something that I can kind of pull myself out of what's going on? And I think that that happens, obviously, in Resident Evil, like I said. And then in this one as well, you have these wonderful character moments, not just between Jin and, and Yuna, but all other characters as well. I understand. Hey, thanks for sending me that link on the Wattpad. Yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll in the shack, love in the shack. I mean, maybe it'll get uh, popular and, and published. I've been seeing books at Barnes and Noble that I can. Hey, what? Pat original is like I see. Oh, well, if Fifty Shades of Grey can make it, anyone can. That's why I keep telling myself every day, every day in the mirror. <laughs> oh dear. Oh boy. Uh, you're better than that. <laughs> Thanks for the confidence. 
You're welcome. So my number three, as if I forgot about it, <laughs> my number three. Are you still mentally organizing your list? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm thinking about it. No, I'm not. Not anymore. My number three comes from the another series selection from the Mega Man X series, of which I'm a big fan of. Mega Man X four, pretty much the only one it could be, Zero and Iris. Iris. Zero. Hang in there, Iris. Please, stay away from Repliforce. Let's live together in a world where only Reploids exist. Iris, there's no world just for Reploid. It's only a fantasy. Yes, I know, but I wanted to believe it. I wanted to live in a world where only Reploids exist with you. Iris. Iris! 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 Ah! No, this isn't happening! There's no reason for me to go on! What? What am I fighting for? And it's another tragedy. <laughs> oh my, what's wrong with you? A lot. Well, I guess I'm picking these dark titles, and you're picking these sad relationships. I know. I mean, just, 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 uh, you know, put that song at the beginning. How could this happen to me? <laughs> <laughs> I made my mistake. Go on, go <laughs> on. Made my mistake. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, so okay. The Mega Man X series is a sort of it's, it's you know Marvel 2099. Think about it like that. You know, it's the future of Ooh. Mega Man. Where in the year, like, it's like 21 double X, like they don't ever specify the exact year, but it takes place in the year 2100s, like 100 years from now. X is sort of a, a taller, more powerful version of Mega Man, and he fights what are known as Mavericks, which are sort of the evolved version of the Robot Masters, which are basically evil robot, you know, villains. Although he works with sort of like, you know, a sort of like, um, Maverick hunting military force. And he is accompanied by his best friend Zero, who is the red, blonde headed swordsman counterpart to X. And sort of an ongoing thing of the X games is that although Zero is absolutely a good guy, he sort of contends with a mysterious past in which he may have been created by Dr. Wily from the original Mega Man games. And so was he created to be a villain? Was he created to destroy X because X is very much like Mega Man? And so, and they get into that a lot in this game. But the plot in this game is that there, it, humans and robots live, I suppose, in harmony. And robots are called Repoids in this game. But there's a sort of civil war in which Repoids are, are, are starting to protest for independence. And, the Maverick Hunters, like X and Zero, are sort of on the lookout to see if there's any any threat to the humans. And so there's a lot of like, you know, are you loyal to robots? Are you loyal to humans? Things going on. And there's a uh, Reploid military colonel and general who seem to be friendly, but spoilers, they turn to be bad guys and, and you got to blow them up. But the colonel has a sister named Iris. And she's like, you know, this like typically, you know, friendly looking, soft, cuddly looking female robot. <laughs> 
that very clearly um, has romantic tension with Zero, especially when he argues with her colonel. At one point, there's a cutscene where they're about to fight, and she kind of gets in the way, and you know, he's like, oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll for your sake, I'll make sure that everyone, but humans and robots are protected. Well, it turns out that. Except for X and Zero, everybody is evil, including the Colonel. So after, and you can play as either X or Zero in this, depending on your storyline. But if you play as Zero, after you defeat the Colonel, you are forced to fight Iris. And Iris jumps into mm. this sort of like dragon robot armor, and you fight her as in a boss battle. And if you beat her, she basically like is killed. And one of the most infamous moments, 90s Japanese game dubbing occurs when Zero runs and says, you know, I, I tried to protect you. And she's like, Zero, I wanted to live in a world where, where reploids could you know, just live on their own. And he's like, Iris, that's, that's just a fantasy. And so she smiles and she dies. And then Zero has a freak out. And I gave you the audio clip for that. That is pretty funny because the voice acting is pretty terrible. In which Zero says, no, what am I fighting for? (laughs) But by the end of it, when you defeat the main bad guy, Sigma, uh, Zero realizes that throughout the entirety of this storyline, this game's storyline, the people that he thought were friends, except for X, he couldn't really save it all. And so he questions his the purposes of his creation, whether he was created to destroy or be a protector. And he's fearing that he might be created to destroy. And you know, it's, a, it's a short and sweet story. It's, it's pretty much a done-in-one story in the Mega Man X universe. But that's stuck a court with me because it's also very violent. Like there are anime-style anime cutscenes of some of these. Like, like Zero has dreams of being a killer and like there's like blood all over his hands and such and the anime sequence where where, uh iris passes away is pretty gnarly especially because typically in these games it's it's a it's like a 16-bit 32-bit game where they just kind of explode so there was an extra sense of drama that really influenced me as a kid because i love i love the Mega Man series i love the original games i really got into the Mega Man x games when i was uh, in high school and they got progressively harder to the point where i played Mega Man x for christmas and i couldn't beat a single level so i threw that crap back Mega Man x4 was a was a big step up because you could play a zero and you kind of level up your your um buster sword and it was a turning point in the game because that's when the, the storyline got a lot more dramatic, including the point where Zero, spoilers in X5, sacrifices himself. And then X6, you can have the choice to bring him back. And then he has his own spinoff series. But, like, this is sort of one of those moments where, like, not only is he a character that you can play as, but his storyline is a lot more dramatic and, and involves a romance that ended tragically. Again, a theme of my, all of my choices. I, I guess I didn't so. Need to, but yeah, that is that is my halfway point. It's because I, I was so young when I played it, I didn't realize that like games could get so dramatic. Mm. I know next to nothing, uh, potentially nothing about Mega Man, so this was all a blur to me. I, I mean, the Mega Man series is very, very straightforward. It's, it's straight up, you know, side-scrolling platforming, you know, just destroying robots and such. There's not much. There's not too many story. I mean, there's storylines. As the games progress, but it's pretty straightforward and basic. I mean, I played on PS3 Mega Man 11, which I loved. It's, again, a very straightforward one. The Mega Man X series is a little bit more mature, but it's still a, a series for children. But, uh, you know, this was, you know, this added some complexities to it that, again, as a kid, you know, that stays with you. And this is always going to be on my list just because this was, the f- oh, there's a romance in this game. Oh, she's evil. Oh, you got to kill her. And, you know, it doesn't treat you killing her as, like, a good thing, which, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. And, you know, Zero is awesome. Zero is a really awesome character. And you can play as Zero in um, is Marvel vs. Capcom 3, I believe. Um, you can play a Mega Man and a sister role in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. But nevertheless, like this, this, is a, this is an oldie but a goodie. It's, it's a childhood favorite of mine. 
Wow. Do you feel like your emotional connection with the game now is different than the one you had when you were younger and originally playing it? When I was a kid, I was like, you know, well, I guess that's what has to happen in terms of storytelling. As an adult, I was watching the cutscenes, you know, yesterday, and I'm like, man, this, I, I wonder almost how they got away with it. Not that it's like, you know, unsuitable for kids, but it's so stark, especially because it's, it's you know, anime animated you know it's anime style in terms of how it's animated so it's telling a story that's not really that doesn't lend itself to juvenile storytelling and you know Mega Man is a very very like you know all ages kind of uh series generally that to kind of add this sort of like moral complexity with it yeah it can be pretty startling but i think i always appreciated darker stuff when i was a kid you know not not too much darker stuff because you know again i was i was a wimp but Stuff that was that was just a little bit here, a little bit there, like Batman animated series scared me every now and then. Mm-hmm. But I always appreciated it because it just felt a lot more interesting. I personally have played far more of the X, Mega Man X games than Mega Man. My brother's, I think he owns all the Mega Man games. I think I, whatever I didn't understand, I think because this was like 15 years ago or longer. I got now is like okay, they were they were ramping up the maturity in this series that I can see them carry on through through X5, X6, and X7, which is awesome. And, and those games come higher. Like X7, I remember I played the same boss over and over again for eight hours straight, not moving or or washing or dressing until I beat him. And so that was a pretty uh, proud moment of perseverance oh that I have. Yeah. This, I, I think it starts with X4, because X4 is um, 32-bit, whereas the previous games were like 16-bit in terms of like, you know, the, the, the graphic upheaval in the late 90s. Would you say this is your proudest game you've beaten? Oh, no, no. X7 was the one that had um, that, that impossible boss thing. The proudest game I've okay. beaten? That's a good... That's a really good question. The proudest game I've beaten. Between X7 and the Game Boy Advance game Golden Sun, which is, you know, like, you know, just keep on dying until you get it right. Those those are definitely <laughs> up there. Um, what about you? What's, what's the hardest game that you've beaten? Crash 1? <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, I would say that like yeah, yeah, yeah. in like just off the top of my head, when they did the the reignited trilogy, that was what it was called, right? I and I beat that game because I probably didn't go past either one of the second temple levels or definitely like one of the high road situations on the PS1. And so when I was like steadily progressing and I ended up getting all the gems too, which some of them are no deaths getting all the boxes, which are insane. I think that was like, oh my gosh, I feel like, you know, if I could talk to young, young Stella, I'd be like, it'll be okay, kid, you'll make it. So that was like, oh my gosh, I finally have beaten Crash 1 because it is so hard. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I beat it um, when I was in quarantine for COVID. But also like um, when I, 100, I got 103% on Crash 2 and I got all the gems then for the first time. I was pretty proud a few years yeah. back. But I, mean, I, I would put Crash 1 right up over there with Mega Man X7 and Golden Sun for my toughest wins. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, the things we go through, the stress. I know. I mean, not as bad as Wanting Super. to throw controllers, sweating, standing up. Like, I've. N- I get angry sometimes. <laughs> oh, I was yeah. about to say, I don't think I've ever gotten a- as angry in real life as I do when I'm playing a video game. That might not be true, but I've I've gotten frustrated. So, it really. It pulls you in. It's like a. a every body, every emotion kind of experience when you play. When you. If it's the right video game. Well, I mean, like, uh, have you ever thrown the. 
controller across the room? I haven't because I'm, you know, I'm scared of it actually breaking, but I think I'll probably like drop it on carpet or like feign throwing it, like just jerking it in the air. <laughs> That's as close <laughs> as I've gotten. I imagine that. Yeah. I, I know I have done that before. Not, not to, like, I didn't throw out a window, but like I'm positive I've done that before. I probably did that before when playing at somebody else. And as I, as I grew, got older, I, you know, I learned to take my L's however frequent they came. Yeah. I mean, I talk to myself. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding. Or I yell at the game like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, what's happening? Yeah. So anyways, I don't know if that's healthier or not healthy relationship with an inanimate object, but there we are. Uh, you, know, and, you know, whether you're swearing or not, you, say, like, you shouldn't bottle up your feelings for a video game and pretend that you're not upset. <laughs> that's true. Well, anything else for your number three? Uh, I hope you enjoy the auto clip <laughs> because it really is terrible. Was that the one that you asked? Would you like the dub or like the ridiculous English? Well, there's, there's, um, one of the voice, apparently, one of the voice actors from the later games did uh, dub that scene, and it was it's really good. It's really dramatic. It's really heartfelt. Like it makes Iris's death sad, and it's genuinely moving. But the original is so notorious. <laughs> I was like, do I really want to have her not experience that? So I was like, all right, all right. if you're interested, <laughs> I'll say that later. But like, like the one that I sent you is the one that's just like. Yeah, because like, because like, this is the same kind of like era. Because like, this game came out alongside Mega Man Eight of the original series, and that one has bad voice acting too. Because you have like Doctor Wily sounding like Elmer Fudd, or not Doctor uh, uh, <laughs> Doctor Light. You must defeat Doctor Wily, Mega Man. And like, um, it's just a series of misadventures in terms of produ- producing games and making asses out of out of American dubbing production production companies. It's it's it, if nothing else, it'll, it'll be memorable for that. So I, I give you this one and the um, the Titus laughing scene, so you can just like you know turn the volume down whenever you listen to both of them. I appreciate it. Yeah, warning to well, I guess pass warning to all the listeners. Yeah, so it's interesting. You're really I would consider like vintage, and all of mine are, are pretty modern takes, which is yeah. That's, that's why I say that but you're a better gamer than I am. I don't think that's true. I well, I would say you are because of your. Not even deep cuts, just like your 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 library, I think is is extensive and and really cool. And I've just not interacted with with any of those. I mean, I know of the Final Fantasy, I could at least follow along with what was going on there. But Mega Man, besides what he looks like, I I don't know anything about that. Mm. But thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And because I I think I've developed from platforming into more serious things, or you know, stepping up the platforming, I think that's why. Maybe stuff is is coming more modern than than uh, vintage stuff. Because Crash, I couldn't really talk about Crash and Tana. There's not much to talk about. I could have talked about, you know, if it were familial, you know, Crash and Coco or something. But we didn't do that. I was going to say, like, you know, did you, if you had a choice between keeping Tawny and never getting Coco or having how how it was, would you have done that or would, would you like Coco more? No, I like Coco because I don't know what they would have done with Tawny. I think that. Given what she looked like, would she have just been like this blonde ditz? Whereas Coco is like super intelligent. She's the one who talks because Crash is a silent protagonist. And she's got some sass too. So I, I really like Coco. Yeah, me too. I, I, I loved whenever she'd pop up and Crash when we first were playing it. Because like, you know, your Cortex was so obviously evil that like, like yeah. Crash, are you there, Crash? I was like, oh, thank God I have some backup because I'm alone the entire time. <laughs> yeah. It was fun to play, you know, in, when in Warped, yes. I'm like, oh, this is great that, you know, I get to ride a, a tiny tiger and, and uh, things like that. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, my number three is the second and final cheat that I have here. 
It is <laughs> Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson from Marvel's. Wow, you are she. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. The 2018 game by Insomniac. Peter. You are not going to believe what happened. So you know that address you gave me? I went there. MJ. I know, I know, but wait. What is this? Just listen. Okay, I want to say don't ever do that again, but since I know you're going to anyway, here. Take a few of those next time. Nice. Thanks. You know Tombstone is crazy and pretty much invincible, right? Everybody has their weakness. Mine is... Whatever you're cooking right now. <laughs> smells amazing. The chicken curry. Uh, just needs some time to simmer. No dumplings, I hope. You're never going to let me live that one down, are you? Nope. <laughs> the great dumpling catastrophe. I still can't believe they evacuated the entire building. I know, and in January, too. <laughs> Your neighbors hated me. Yeah, they were pretty happy when we broke up. <laughs> yeah. So, let's talk about what you found in Lee's office. Well, Lee clearly has issues with Norman Osborn. Yeah, but... But why? I don't know yet. But his next move looks like it involves devil's breath. Whatever that is. Yeah. I'll dig into it. So I was thinking... What if we teamed up? But, what, you want to be my sidekick? Like a spider girl? Spider woman. No. Woman. No, not a sidekick. A partner. Oh. Not again. Hey, it's your crime system thingy. Looks like a residential break-in. Charles Standish. Hmm. That sounds familiar. Oh, Oscorp CFO. Wait, you don't think this has anything to do with Lee, do you? Sorry to cook and run. Did, did you just leave your clothes on the kitchen floor? Uh... Where, where do you want me to, uh... Just, the couch is fine. <laughs> yeah. See you later? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a cheat, you know, because comics and everything, but the relationship, I mean, the whole game is really well done. Go see whatever episode that is that Donovan and I did, but the relationship is so well done. So just as a synopsis, the superhuman crime lord, Mr. Negative, orchestrates a plot to seize control of New York City's criminal underworld. And when Mr. Negative threatens to release a deadly virus, Spider-Man must confront him and protect the city while dealing with the personal problems of his civilian persona, <laughs> Peter Parker. So, yeah, as you had talked about before, we know that they have history. For the most part, 
they're on pretty good terms with each other. There might be some minor tension just because, you know, Spider-Man always causes some tension, just at that persona and everything. And Mary Jane is a badass, so she's going to do whatever she wants to do. So you play as her sometimes, and she gets herself into some situations. But Spider-Man doesn't really... Well, I guess I shouldn't say that, because there are some times that he, she's there and he comes in and kind of distracts guards. But other times, she helps him, like find where bombs are or distract people and so you really work as a pair and I think my favorite moment which is the audio clip that I gave is when they are having dinner at her apartment and they're waxing nostalgia about I guess kind of weird cooking situations that had arisen and and her neighbors really hated Peter because I think burned something and she asked if they can be partners you know and him being spider-man of course and she with her journalism and also helping him out on the current case and he thinks about it and you know yes they're they're able to do that and play to their strengths and then of course he gets a call of something happening and he like throws off his clothes even though you don't see it and he's in his spider-man outfit when she turns to see him again and he's about to fly out the window she's like did you leave your clothing in the kitchen and then he backs up and <laughs> and brings the, the the clothing and the couch but i just love cute little moments his like that and it's just mask. yeah it's yeah, it's it's how they interact, not only in cutscenes at, at a diner and there's Stan Lee cameo, but also because throughout the game you're getting calls from different people and she'll constantly call and you can have discussions that are just revolving around the case or more personal discussions. And I think there's another pretty romantic moment when she's talking with Miles and he's kind of asking what her history is with, with Peter and everything. But... In the end, they do get back together, and you're right about the DLC, that there's that that tension there. But I think, I mean, that's my favorite Spider-Man game. I just thought that it was so successful, and it just felt so authentic to what their relationship is like, or how I imagine it to be in the comics at the best of times with Amazing Spider-Man. And it was just brought to life in this video game so it's great to be engaging in that and interacting as if i were a part of a dating sim like oh i'm getting peter and mary jane together so it just every time they were together there was this bright smile on my face just to see them so i do recognize that it's a cheat but honestly it was one of the best relationships that i had seen in video games and i could not not have it on my list i know it's high but it is yeah. so good that it had to be there well, that's, that's, that's fine i don't really mind <laughs> although it is, is quite high <laughs> <laughs> hey man it's i'm gonna do it i, want. No, I, don't really want. I honestly forget what, how we talked about this in the episode where we, where we talked about this game because so much has happened since that like you know like the remaster and then, like, changing Peter Parker's face, and then the Miles game. We don't talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> if I'm repeating anything in that episode, I apologize. But what did you think about how they did marriage? Because I remember my brother walked in during one of her cutscenes as I was playing it, and he really rolled his eyes at, like, them making her, like, you know, this sort of reporter who's not a model. Like, like what did you – what was your reaction to, like, how she was rendered in this game? I liked it. I mean, I guess if you are – a comics purist, you'd be like, oh, why isn't she a model? But I, I think that the character was given way more agency in this game, that she was almost a stronger character because of her profession here. And you're also able to have that 
reporter daily bugle aspect without peter being involved because peter his primary focus was certainly the science so you got to still see the daily bugle and then you got to play as her and which i thought i mean it's not like they were my favorite levels but i thought it was pretty fun to switch it up so i liked it just to give her a new dimension and i think give her a character of her own without being objectified or just who is she in comparison to Spider-Man or as it relates to Spider-Man. She was her own entity. And then you had also what it looked like for Peter and MJ. Yeah, it was such a wonderful surprise when she shows up in the game because I think at that point you probably met uh, Dr. Octavius and probably Aunt May. But, you know, you're pretty much by yourself. And then, like, when you're in the museum and I think you got yeah. – I think somebody's about to get the drop on you more or less because, you know, Spider-Sense. But she knocks him out and she's like, hey – she says, hey, Pete, in the costume – I think that's where I knew, oh, there's a – this game's operating on a really storied history of Spider-Man. It's not just your blank, like, Spider-Man thing where, like, they won't tell you how long he's been in or, or what's going on. They, they won't really layer this with, like, continuity. That was the first time I was, I was like, oh, this is a game where, like, a lot's gone on up to this point. And I really like that. And it's a very specific point. Like, he's not fought uh, the Green Goblin or Venom yet, but, like, he has, like, you know, a lot of the, the, the lead – Billy Dicko villains are in his history, even ones that you don't find in the game. So that was really cool. But like, um, also, I think it's the part where you're investigating, like, is it Silver Sables? It's, it's like, what's the, later in the game where you're like in the office building with like the lab and stuff? Do you remember which one, which part I'm talking about? Oh. It's like with the, with the, sp- the spider gets on her and that's, that's how it gets to Miles. And she has to jump off the building. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think that's in the Osborne oh, mansion what, yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? I know the Silver Sable's there, but, like, yeah, it's Osborne. Yeah. I, I hated that part. Not because of the gameplay or, or anything. Just, this, all yeah. the spiders. Honest, honestly, yeah. I, I, I really was like, like did, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, do love the, I, I love the bit where, like, um, I think she's on the phone with Peter, and, like, she jumps off, and he catches her. I've seen that part a lot, and, like, there was, there was a really good music video of uh this game and they they repeat that like when when mary jane pops up that was always you know a, a popular moment in the, in the in the amv that i saw and when she jumps off and he grabs her that's great and and you know in the miles game peter is off with like mary jane's on assignment and peter's with her which is really cool mm-hmm. so that's nice yeah and just to mention that yuri lowenthal plays peter and laura bailey plays mary jane laura, laura bailey yeah she she I knew her. Because She's all over the place. She, I knew her when I was a kid because she voiced uh, uh, young Trunks Trunk? in Dragon Ball Z. And since then, she's just like completely left that behind and like been a superstar in voice acting. It's been really fun to see. Yep, it has been crazy. Oh man, so good. Yeah, it's very, very, very. Good. Okay, well, my cheating is yeah, over. You did cheat. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Are you ready for this? No. <laughs> no I don't think this is cheating, but. I don't think this is a surprise either. So I'll just like get it out of the way. My number two is Cloud and Aerith slash Aries. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Everyone dies eventually. I suppose. So we need to make the most of the time we have. To live our lives the way we want to live. Every minute, every moment matters. I'll remember that. Good. So... 
need to embrace this moment. Right? I'm glad I met you, Cloud. I really am. I'm grateful for all the words we've shared. For all the moments and the memories. You've made me more happy than you know. And I'll always cherish what you've given me. But... But whatever happens, you can't fall in love with me. Even if you think you have, it's not real. Do I get a say in all this? It's almost morning. Time to go. I'm coming for you. If that's what you want. Thank you. Now, I'll say this right up front because, you know, in terms of the remake, that ended like a third of the way through the game. So when I'm talking about this, I you know, right, right up front, I'll, I'll say that like, the remake has very, very, very directly and explicitly changed things from the original Final Fantasy VII game and story. Not everything. I mean, it's it's like 95% the same. But the ways in which there are differences are uh, noticeable enough that the game itself – in fact, Aerith herself says at, when they're at the end of the road before they randomly fight Sephiroth that she basically says, like, you know, like, like we're on some sort of, like, storyline track where up to this point – Whatever happens can happen in ways we can't predict. And the game developers have said, yeah, we, we're, we're having fun with the expectations of the, of the, of the players. And what you know had, that has already happened in the original game may not happen later on. Like, for instance, the survival of um, Biggs in, in this game by the end and the survival of Zack uh, as shown by the very end. That's a huge change. Uh, spoilers, by the way. So obviously, um, if you don't know, in the original game, Aerith's kind of gaming's Gwen Stacy. She's very, 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 very famous be, uh, because she dies in the original game. Like, like in the original game, she's part of her party. You know, you meet her on the streets as a flower girl. She's the healer. That entire storyline that you see in the FF7 remake is accurate to the original. And she's notable for being killed by Sephiroth. It is a very, very strong possibility that that might, ha- might not happen. In the next part, it could. I mean, it's an iconic moment of gaming, but I think there's been enough nudging here or there to where I think players are should be expecting to be given a swerve, for instance. So anything that I say that might be sound like a spoiler really isn't promised for the next part of the of FF7 remake. I just want to kind of lay that out. I don't, I don't, I don't intend on getting into the whole thing with this anyway, but like for the Cloud and Aerith, I mean, she was originally always Aerith. I just, it was a dubbing thing initially for, or translation thing for Ares. But in the game Final Fantasy VII, uh, in the world, or at least, at least in the town of Midgar, your main character, Cloud, is a mercenary who signed up with the eco-terrorist group Avalanche, which is combating the Shinra Corporation and their military uh, outfit soldier, which Cloud is a, a former member of, and, you know, basically protesting their destruction of the planet. And after Cloud and Barrett um, pull off a job in which they blow up one of their plants and are wrestling with the casualties that that, that that explosion caused, Cloud runs into a flower girl who is selling flowers. 
and depending on what you on what you uh, say in the prompts, she gives them one for free. You can give that flower to Tifa, and in the remake, uh, Aerith will figure that out and kind of chide you about it. But essentially, in the general text of Final Fantasy VII, Aerith is sort of uh, to, to Cloud's Gwen as Tifa is to Cloud's Mary Jane, in a, in a way, in which they are mm-hmm. the two female characters in the group that you can use. That, they, that They're not non-playable you can play as them but the game very clearly has that sort of like romantic tension between the childhood friend tefa and the girl who starts to change cloud in Aerith. and this is this is this is always like a part of the point of a uh, cloud's development because you said originally that like you started liking cloud a bit more as he was with Aerith, and that was sort of the point of the character to kind of have him kind of start off really grim and stoic and mean and have her change and have tefa notice that because tefa joins him because she's noticed how different he was from when the last met five years ago. And as the game goes on, like, like cloud really starts to form his own sense of right and wrong in terms of fighting off Sephiroth. It's not just for revenge of something that may have happened in, that, in the past or anything else. And not just the sort of romance, but her, uh, her meeting him changes him and also changes the course of the story. Because as you as you kind of go on into the story, you learn that she's part of Esetra, these which are a a group of people I think called the Ancients, which are sort of they're, they're sort of blown this sort of prophecy in the larger world of the game, and she has a much more direct tie into the fate of the planet. And she's a, she's a lot more of a she's a lot more of an integral character, kind of comparable to Yuna in a way. In terms of the world, in the original game, you know she's she's a nice girl. She's 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 a bit spunky, but she you know she's she's nice. You know she's she's pretty pretty um agreeable. I think in the remake, she's a lot more. I don't know how how would I describe this? Like I don't know. She's she's a lot more energetic. She's a lot less. Uh, she's she's a lot more quirky. A scene that always pops into my head in terms of like I've, this is definitely different. Well, first of all, there's that whole dancing sequence between – I've heard the character's name, but like when Cloud is basically um, you know, thrown in drag and on a stage, you cut back to Aerith, and she's like just like cheering and getting into it. <laughs> she hits a guy with a chair, um, which is a huge fan-favorite moment that they made for this game. And I don't know. She, she seems like she's a lot more – not tomboyish, but like I guess like spunky. I don't know. I, I don't, for some reason, Kitty Pride is coming to my mind, and I'm not sure precisely hmm. what compares the two, but I think that like she's not – as like submissively feminine as I think she may have come off in the original game. Not to say that in the original game she's like you know a bazillion percent passive or what have you, but here I think she has some rougher edges than she did in the original game. But that just made her a lot more attractive to fanboys <laughs> because like all everyone's talking about is like you know like more more than they ever did originally is like the Tifa versus Aerith you know shipping wars or if you're Jen Bartel. Uh, you will ship Tifa and Aerith together, as, as many other people do. Because in this game, they become friends far faster than they did in the original. Not that they were antagonistic, but like you know, they are definitively the two of them are definitively friends. They don't rely on Cloud as a middle. But here, it's a, it's even barring the remake, it's an iconic pairing because when Aerith dies in the game, Cloud's kind of like haunted, and uh, he kind of he's haunted by that, and he's haunted by events from his past and he's so stunlocked from this that at one point you take control of tiffa because cloud's li- literally catatonic and and tiffa's like rolling him around in a wheelchair because he's because he, his memories are so messed up you know it would be maybe chauvinistic of me to say that like well she's a great 
character in this is a great romance because when she dies, it affects the man. But I think that like um in a combination of her effect on the on the gamers and also how she's rendered in the game, I think the game really makes a good case for her and Cloud being the OTP. Especially that scene at her house. If you end up waking up in the middle of the night and seeing because there's three options. You're gonna see her, Tiffa or Barrett on the front lawn of their house in the middle of the night. And if you pick Aerith, or, or not if you pick her, but like if you end up with Aerith, Aerith straight up says, and this is the clip that I said, you know, I really appreciate meeting you. I really appreciate the time we spent, and I always cherish it. But don't fall in love with me. And Cloud's like, don't mm. I get a say in this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's like, you know, yeah. it's 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 part tragic, but it's also I think that like I don't know, like I I, I really like um, how she's written in this. I mean, I, I think I was more shocked by Jesse just because Jesse was far more of a comparable non-entity originally and where but Aerith was always a gigantic character and i think that like to me i always try to look at the remake as sort of what if they took the game and made a movie of it and i think in terms of this you know this sort of adaptation she was very very successful and i know that like um the voice actress brianna white is a fan favorite because she is really into the game i think she's cosplayed as Aerith and such and uh yeah her and cloud are you know a popular couple and in some ways a tragic couple but uh as far as this new era of gaming is concerned they might end up together. We'll see how that goes. Do you? So I'm surprised you didn't choose Tiffa, but you know I approve of of us agreeing. But yeah, I, I am because I know you're. That's your favorite character, right? What are you? Who are you? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to check with that, and that was certainly a reason that you helped convince me to give it a shot because I had known pretty infamously that you are spending all this time with Aerith. You are leveling her up and all of that, bonding with her and her little pixelated self. And <laughs> then all of a sudden she gets killed and I thought to myself, why do I want to play a game that I'm emotionally invested in and then one of those characters gets ripped away from me? But when you were telling me how, you know, there's a chance that, well, number one, she doesn't get killed in this game, but number two, that there's maybe a chance that she'll live on. I'm like, okay, so I'll give this a shot. But now it might be all the more tragic because I really am invested in all these characters. I mean, I was having a rough time running up that tower during that yeah. fight and all of my favorite avalanche. avalanche members were getting killed. It was it was rough. But no, I, I obviously it was on my uh, honorable mention. But uh, I approve of this couple for sure, and I'm looking forward to see where it goes in the in the future. Yeah, I am too, especially like in the little in the little like uh, additions they've given to Aerith. Like now, granted, I have not played the original in a long time, so I was a lot of the times when I was playing the remake, I was like, I don't remember. Is this from the original? Is this is this an invention? Like the craziest stuff, like you know, like much of the Avalanche stuff in terms of, like you know the side missions, like. Going to Jesse's house and learning about her backstory, a lot of that. I mean, that was obviously new. But I mean, in terms of like, um, like for instance, when you fall off uh, the bridge after the battle with like that, um, that 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 robot, and you wake up in in Aerith's church, which you know, an iconic scene. I mean, that scene was repeated a lot in imagery in the sequel movie Advent Children, which takes place two years after Final Fantasy VII's storyline ends, and where, where Cloud's basically depressed. He's like, you know, we, we, yeah, we saved the world, but at what cost? Oh, I'm such a simp. I know that, like, I think Tiffa has taken over Aerith's um, church and helps take care of Marlene and a boy named Denzel, <laughs> watches over her garden and stuff. And, like, it's, it's very much kind of a Gwen Stacy thing where, like, images of him waking up to Aerith 
kind of like Steve Trevor waking up to Wonder Woman and stuff is like kind of played over and over again. But like when I'm, my point is that when you're kind of traveling on top of the rooftops and kind of getting to know her a bit more, I feel that the game really gave her a lot more of a recognizable personality, at least in the voice acting. I mean, I'm not, I'm, it sounds like, oh, and then the original game, she's boring. Not so much, but like here, it's like she really jumps out of the screen in terms of a person. And I think that like it's just easier to recognize that in this version where to the point where this character says at the end, you know, from this point on, you know, anything is game. We, we, we really don't know what to expect. And then the game show us, shows us things that are surprises. It's like, oh, okay. So like, uh, who knows? I mean, honestly, they could kill a cloud. <laughs> well, no, actually, no, nah, I, Ooh, I don't know if they crazy. can do that, to be honest. <laughs> in terms of like where the story goes, um, if they kill off Tifa, I will riot. But um, I feel, that, I feel that, that we may we may run that risk. They flirt. I mean, I mean, at one point, there's that scene where Sephiroth stabs Barrett, and the game straight yeah. up says, "Well, that's not supposed to happen." And it's like, oh, okay, so this is our this is the threat that we're dealing with. You know, things might be different. Yeah, I was getting real nervous. I have to say, I was too because I knew that there were. I had heard that there were changes in this game that people weren't happy with, and when I saw that, I was like, "Oh man, is this it? Are they killing Barrett?" And like when the game when he when he's brought back, and it's kind of made. I, th- I think one of the one of the uh, production designers said that was sort of a, a tip to the to the players that you know not to think that they know what's going to happen in this game. It's like, oh crap, don't do this to me. But yeah, no. Uh, I mean, she's Aerith's always been a really great character, and I really like her in the remake. I like her, I like her. I don't want to say frivolity, but like you know her upbeatedness. I like that she's more violent. Like she she can actually fight more than just heal people in this game. Mm-hmm. I, I like her enthusiasm, you know. And she and and quite frankly, Cloud is a jerk in this game, and she kind of gets to like yeah. knock it off, and uh, that's really appreciable. Would you say that Cloud is more, less, or the same of a jerk as Batman? Uh, why, 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 why are you doing this? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, first of all, Cloud's a lot younger. I, mean, I think Cloud's stated age is he's 21, so whereas Batman's like, you know, 47. So, like, um, I don't know. But again, like, a lot of Cloud's problems uh, as the game, as you, by the time that you learn everything there is to know about Cloud, I don't think you'll be as mad at him. Um, just because, not in terms of, like, you know, just things that happened in his past, but like, I mean, he has, I don't think this is where he has genuine memory problems. And mm-hmm. a lot of his sort of like stoic demeanor is sort of him kind of acting in confusion. If that makes sense. I don't think that makes any sense, but like that's sort of how I can sort of express it. Although he is, he, he is grimmer than I remembered him being in the game. I, I know in the game he's a little standoffish, but I feel that in this one, he might be a little, little meaner than he, I think he was originally. Good to know. Well, if Robert Pattinson says Batman's a jerk, then we know it to be true. <laughs> Pattinson and Matt Reeves have been saying a lot of crazy stuff. Like, Batman's a sad boy. <laughs> He's a psychopath. He's the craziest person that's ever had, had film. Watch Mask of the Phantoms! <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> I guess. I guess it's the same character. So, we, we uh, will see. Boy, we will see. Well, fingers crossed that Aerith makes it out alive. I, ooh, if she survives, would I, would, how would I feel about that? I would not, if she survives, I would not want them to, like, throw another character you know at the end of Sephiroth's Blade like I, I, I'll, 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 I would genuinely be upset if they kill off Tifa oh. and I, I, I wouldn't want them to kill off Yuffie so if she must live I hope everyone else does you can kill off Kate Seth who cares about that guy but if she does die that won't bother I mean it'll be the same thing with like you know 
Jesse. Like, that's how it happened originally, so I wasn't inclined to be mad. I, I'll never delete that, that voicemail. I'll never will. <laughs> was there a second one, or that was all in one? It couldn't have been. No, 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 no. I, I, got, it, I got it right. I got it right here. There's a second one where I yell at you about Jesse? You know exactly why I'm calling you. We're going to have to break up. I can't be with you anymore. You caused me to cry. Jesse Raspberry, probably my favorite character, is dead. Do you hear me? She is also dead. This, this game is making me sick. I would break the disc, but I have to return it to Gamefly. So this might be the last time that you and I speak, or I speak to your voicemail. I hope you're happy with yourself. Yeah, that was you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, so we're, we're still speaking truth, now, but not enough. If, yeah, if, I know we are speaking now. If well. if she dies, uh, because you didn't know about the others and you didn't know about Ares, if she dies, how upset do you think he might be? Jesse? Uh, Aerith. Oh, Aerith. Oh, I, I think I'll be more upset. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll be like, oh, well, this is the plot of it, but because. It seems like more flesh. Well, I've never played the first one, right? So I'm, I've decided to take the chance to play this. I've enjoyed this character. I think she's really sweet. And now there's like all this build up. So it's like, I, I'm hoping that it'll be okay, but now it's going to probably be like this disastrous thing where my heart is broken. Like Gwen Stacy's death in Amazing Spider-Man 2, where I held out hope that it'd be okay. Uh, the the moment I saw her in that in that wardrobe, I was like, you know, start the countdown of death. And the film did, uh, literally. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, anything else? Oh, man, I, I can't wait. I, well, they, they, they keep on tripping because they keep on announcing these, like, you know, side games and these mini games. It's like, get back to the main yeah. game. Like, oh, yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake, you know, the Super Gem Fighter or whatever. It's like, uh... Make part two. Well, they did have that one part that had what's her name? Yuffie. Y- Yuffie. Yuffie. Uh, or I, I pronounce Yuffie. it Yuffie. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the official pronounce it, but Yuffie. Yeah, like the teenage ninja pickpocket. Yeah. Yeah. So at least they're like at least that had something to lead us towards. That's cool. That's on yeah. PS5 though. So it's like, damn it. Oh. Yeah, I've not played that yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I know that there's been like sex scenes. You see like the gang like a. Uh, at one point, Tiffa and Aerith are like hitchhiking, which is, I mean, they're, you know, with the others, but like, you see them like, uh, try to catch like a, a passing car and stuff. I thought you just said sex scenes. <laughs> hitchhiking? No, 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 no. Is that what you said, no, or no, did no. I mishear I did you? Not, no, no, I said there were like scenes. If I said that, I misspoke. There's scenes of them hitchhiking. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> I really thought you said there are sex scenes. I'm like, there no, are? No, no, I no, missed no. that completely. I can't wait to do the editing on this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but there, I know that there's been like sex scenes, sex scenes, sex scenes. No, 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 no. This, 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 this <laughs> now I know what you've been looking up this, 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 on the Wattpad and the OnlyFans, I think it's called. <laughs> Tiff- you've been looking up some bad things. <laughs> Maybe I have, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, hitchhiking. Okay, well, I, is it okay to move on? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I'm completely thrown oh, off. Number two. Final Fantasy has taken a turn for me. So. One. Ooh, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, my number two, <laughs> getting back to the dark, the dark, 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 is Ellie and Dina from The Last of Us Part Two. Do it. 2020. Did you? Uh, it was Did you know that this was on my list? That. Yeah. 
If it were, well, I don't know. I don't know what I would say about. Did you have a girlfriend in like, like the previous version? Her girlfriend Riley. Right. Well, I hesitate to say girlfriend, but yeah, in the she only talks about her in The Last of Us, but you you get to see her in the Left Behind DLC. But here it was like full on; they're in a relationship. She's uh, she's putting on quite the show. I give you guys two weeks until you're back together. Not gonna happen. She, uh, say something to you? Make it one week. Ellie! Hey! What took you so long? Well, I'm here, aren't I? Dina? Jesse? Hey, don't forget, we're heading out early, so get some rest. Yes, sir. You're such a dick. Come on. Why don't you start with me? very serious question for you. How bad do I smell? Like a hot pile of garbage? Oh. Okay. Oh. How about that? Gross. (laughs) You love it. Okay, so this is the 2020 controversial, with a capital C, game by Naughty Dog. It's set five years after The Last of Us, which is 2013, um, or that's when it came out. And the game focuses, it's a dual-tagonist, so it focuses on, of course, Ellie, who is setting out for revenge after Joel is killed. And then Abby, which people hated, but I I loved Abby, who is a soldier who becomes involved in a conflict between her militia and a religious cult. And you find out that she is the daughter of the doctor that you were forced to kill in The Last of Us. So that's she is the one that that kills Joel. And if you didn't know, it's in a post-apocalyptic United States. And it's all about this this fungal virus that that is around uh so so zombies to a certain extent so there's another theme that's popping up here and ellie is played by ashley johnson for the second time and then dina is played by shannon woodward so the first we we knew that ellie was a lesbian there you don't i think if you play the last of us you may not 
really know. I mean, she talks about Riley, but you could just take that as female friendship. But when you play Left Behind, you're like, oh, okay, so Ellie is, I should say queer. She, I mean, she could be bi, so I'll say queer. But I remember probably one of the first videos that had come out, or full, fuller videos, was this scene at a dance in Wyoming, in, in one of the, the, well, the colonies that they're staying and there's some sort of triangle going around where you've got Jesse, who's this guy that was dating Dina, but they're broken up at this point in time. And clearly Ellie has a thing for Dina, but ha- hasn't said anything. And then Ellie and Dina end up dancing. And then there's a kiss at the end. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? We're really going here. And I don't know if people were upset. It's been a while now since I've investigated the controversies because there were so many of them. I think potentially they were upset that, you know, Ellie is now like an out and out gay protagonist. But I I thought it was great. But as things were progressing and I am so happy, I'm so happy and thankful, which seems like a silly thing to say, but so happy and thankful that I didn't know any of these spoilers because things, you know, there are major leaks. And so I didn't know about anything, but I'm getting increasingly worried and anxious and paranoid because you see the scene where Ellie is being held down and you only are seeing her and she's like, no, please don't do it. And leading up to that, you see her and Dina actually on horses going through a winter wilderness and I'm just like connecting two and two and thinking, oh my gosh, are you going to kill off Dina? And they did this fake too because later on in the in that trailer you see Joel actually pop up, which in the game it is a fake out because it's Jesse that does it, but Joel pops up and says, you think I'd let you do this alone? So all th- this entire time I'm like, oh my gosh, this relationship seems great and I've only seen this one scene. Are we going to be doing this barrier gaze trope? Is this does this count as women in refrigerators? I don't know. So I was just really I was getting anxious and really upset. And playing it was also a very <laughs> intense situation because as I'm in the winter and the snow, I'm like, what's going to happen? And of course, you know, it is Joel, which is still impactful. But there is a really great scene which there. Are, you you talked about sex scenes in Final Fantasy. There were no, two I didn't. sex scenes. <laughs> you did. Um, there were two sex scenes <laughs> in this video game. One of them I hesitate to say. I mean, they definitely make out. But uh, I remember, yeah, that they, they were nervous about how they were going to animate the kissing. And it turns out really well. But it, it oh, okay. that's the first moment you actually see Dina and Ellie together and kissing and the the kiss is mentioned because some of the the cut scenes go in different order because you're kind of catching up on certain things and and figuring out what the status was with different people and so dina they're sitting on the couch they're waiting out a storm and saying you know how would you rate the kiss and ellie's kind of uncomfortable like why are we still talking about this you said it didn't mean anything and then they end up having a, a pretty passionate kiss and afterwards there's a important conversation about her actually saying like i got the scar because i was bitten and i'm immune but dina doesn't believe it so after everything that happens with joel dina is like already pretty attached to you she is with ellie at the grave ellie's like i'm going across to find these people and dina's right with her and it starts to get pretty rough. There are some moments that I had butterflies in my stomach just with like Dina saying, babe, I'm so tired. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. But you find out she's pregnant, so it's not good. 
and um, <laughs> they have some harsh words at one point. Like now you're you're a liability. Ellie says that it's kind of harsh. There are moments where Ellie comes back from a really intense battle, and luckily it's not gratuitous. But she, you know, she takes off her shirt, and and Dina's cleaning her up, and she's like, "I'm sorry, this ever happened." So there are some really, I mean, this is an intense game, and so likewise, the relationships and and the moments between them gets really intense as well. And it builds up, it builds up, and in the end, uh, unfortunately, Ellie killed somebody who was pregnant, and she didn't know it at the time until at the very end. And in a reversal of fates or fortunes, Abby comes in, she finds everybody, she kills Jesse, and she has the opportunity to kill Dina and Ellie is saying she's pregnant don't do it and Abby's she's saying good and luckily it takes somebody else my favorite character to uh, say don't you know but let's walk away so they walk away and you think everything will be okay and then you time passes and Dina has given birth you know they've got the little potato as they call uh, call him and JJ and they're in you know I would say a domestic partnership I don't know if marriage exists in the post-apocalyptic world and it just it seems great but Ellie is of course suffering from PTSD and has has breakdown she's like I need to finish it and figure out what has happened and oh, this is I really this game which you know it's a six hour podcast <laughs> with Harry so if you choose if you decide to listen to that and I liked it more than Harry did but one of the things about this game is narrative dissonance and just the fact that you are forced to do things that as a player I did not want to do like beating, you know, beating somebody and you have to make those button presses and it's, it's awful. There are some awful, uh -huh. awful moments. And so one of the things where I had no control, no button presses, it was just the, it was just the cutscene is that she, Ellie is sneaking out in the middle of the night to go and Dina is like, don't do this, you know. Like, our love is enough, you know, if you love me, don't leave that kind of thing. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And leaves, and I, I was just heartbroken, heartbroken. And, you know, I could go on about everything else that happens, but basically Ellie comes to terms with everything to a certain extent, and she comes back, and the house is cleaned out. So, and she kind of sits there and, and also leaves. So you have no idea where she goes at the end of the game. I don't, you know, if there were a third one, I have no idea if it would feel right to go back to Dina, though that is what my heart would say. But that was also huge for her to say, you know, I I understand we have this relationship and it's important to me and we have this life together, but I'm deciding to seek out revenge in place of that. So, I mean, would you get to back together with someone like that? I don't know. If, I don't know if that's a good idea. But I was just fully invested in in that relationship. It it made me really nervous anytime Dina was around me out in the world because I was just ready, ready for her to get killed, in which case I would have lost it. And there were some close calls. But uh, the heightened tension, this is not a, with the exception of like the, the first scene and the dance scene, the first scene when they're smoking, smoking the ganja <laughs> and the, the kiss scene and then the dance scene, everything else, they're not light moments. So it goes against my other picks of these dark stories and then there's this levity to it because everything is so dark altogether and it's really serious and people are making poor choices and the, the environment around them is affecting them that it's like, it's hard, but I'm just so like in 
engaged in what's going on and hopeful that I'm like, please make it out. So I, I do really love this couple and this entire game was an emotional journey for me for sure. It wrecked me. But yeah, oh man, really shows the flaws. And I, I think as much as people love Ellie, showed her as a, a flawed character and that she doesn't always make the best decisions. I mean, I was just like, please don't do what you're doing multiple times. But she was. And and I bought into this relationship more than I did with Riley. And that relationship somewhat makes me uncomfortable. I don't know if it's just like kind of putting children in like an erotic situation. I mean, it wasn't erotic. That's like too heavy of a term. But just like... I didn't fully buy into it. And like the kiss scene, I'm just like, oh, I mean, kind of cute. But just like seeing that, it was just like, eh, I don't really want to see this. But this one is, you know, Ellie as an adult. Uh, her, I'm looking at images and like wasn't in the first one Ellie like 13, but they, they look like little kids. Yeah, yeah. And, and there wasn't much development. It was more like we're telling you, we're not showing you because they had a history and then Riley's kind of spending that entire DLC trying to apologize to Ellie for running off. And then they have that fun time and then there's the kiss and then Riley dies. So it's like this huge ramp up to something and then cuts off right away. Whereas this through journals and everything, you like really see that Ellie has had feelings for Dina for a while. And then um, you're exploring that relationship. You see them as you know adults and having adult relationships so mm-hmm. I, I just it just feels i think more authentic to me but it's also it's it's a difficult journey it's not easy so well oh, my number two. <laughs> yeah uh I, I, I no i was i was anticipating this the entire time really yeah without without, without fully remembering because I, I did listen to your yeah Six hour podcast. Yeah, Six hundred thousand million hour podcast of this. <laughs> and it just sounded like the most dour time to be at a video game arcade. It did sound like it did seem very, very well done. But also it's interesting that you would have a relationship that would be under the th- uh, that's under the threat of violence and really getting into that. And without really being in the weeds of the last of us sort of like fan community, I don't know how. I, I, I believe that, like, the storytellers had the best of intentions. If I were, like, more into it, like you guys were, I don't know if I would have appreciated having, like, you know, my heart play like a, like a cat's play thing like that. Like, you know, we're going to kill this pregnant woman. I mean, like, I'm not saying you can't do that in storytelling, but, like, some of that, from my vantage point as an observer of, of play the first one, feels more manipulative than the intentions might mean for it to be. And... Mm. And this has nothing to do with the actual relationship, but like just listening to the guys talk about this game, it just sounded like like the most like you know, I don't know, like stuff, stuff like The Walking Dead and stuff. And we talked about this previously, like with like Invincible and stuff, where killing off characters sort of like like um, at rapid fire or just constantly the storytelling util- utilization of that can be lost in terms of its integrity. And so if I were playing this, I and I got to the end of it where they survive. Maybe it would feel different, but I, I feel like like the anxiety would be a bit too much for myself, at least. But yeah. they look awfully cute together. <laughs> Can't deny that. 
They sure do. Yes. I, I, I look at that. And, and it's, it's juxtaposed, interesting enough, with Abby and a relationship that she had and, and has. And I, I still, yeah, the shipping. I still am somewhat baffled by, even though I can go on YouTube and, and watch the Elidina kiss multiple times. The other one I can't watch just because it's, I feel like it's violent and there's just so much going on with that feeling wise that I just, I feel like it's not romantic at all. Wait, which one? So it's interesting to Abby and, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The other guy. Yeah. It's been a while since I've played it, but I can't remember what his name is. Who is currently in a relationship with the woman that was killed who was pregnant. So it was was an adulterous tryst, (laughs) but yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. It is not for the faint of heart. Well, also going going back to the point about like you know her and Riley as kids. I I think when it comes to adult storytelling like this, you want to invest more in a romance that's adult because the like them smoking weed and making out and stuff like that, possibly having sex and living together, that stuff's a lot more welcome to imagine with adults. And if just by the nature of them being kids living in that world might open up that possibility. That's less, that's less fun to think about. So I think that like, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I guess I'm, I don't know why I'm trying to like dissect your thought process on that. Cause I'm not played the DLC or the side game or whatever it was, but I imagine that's what, what would have been the case. And I'm looking at Ellie and Dina now, I mean, they're young, but they look mature while still, while mm-hmm. still young. And, you know, unless you're, you know, a teeth gnashing homophobe, you know, there's nothing really, unwholesome run toward towards this unless like i mean they're like the same age right yeah they should be pretty contemporary yeah yeah i'm looking forward to with the tv show because they just cast a riley what that is going to look like and how that will develop and then maybe perhaps i'll revisit my feelings on it but you know i think about my students like i love to ship them (laughs) my eighth graders anyways but i also don't want to you know, I could probably be okay with them holding hands, but you know, if I were to catch them making out, like I'd be, I'd be really disturbed. So I think it might just be that, like I'm, I'm seeing you not as someone who should be engaging in that behavior. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to seem like a and, and I, like, I would, I don't oh, there's man, can you wrong with yeah. feeling that way too? Yeah. I mean, did you ever watch the Wonder Years? Yeah, but it's been a long time. Right, because I remember them like you know kissing quite passionately while being, being very underage, but. Also, not getting too much into that. So, and there's, there's not really a metric on you know what's good or not. I think as long as you know uh, nobody's been grievously harmed. But whatever, I don't want to get into that too much. It it, it 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 depends on the story, I think. Yeah. So Ellie and Dina. That's, okay. Yeah. The, the obvious. I'm surprised it's not your number one. It you know is really close, but there was only one thing that could be my number one. I think because it was so f- formational. Interesting. Do you? Gosh, I don't know if I can. I can guess it. Do you, do you think I'll be able to guess it? I guess we'll see once we get to it. <laughs> uh, do you think I'll guess your number one? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I think that might be a negative. Is it's probably? It seems like if you're doing all these these deep dives into games I've not played, I don't know that I'll be able to to pull it out. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what system is it on? Can you tell me that? PlayStation. Uh, I mean, God, all these are on PlayStation or PlayStation 3. I'm on PlayStation 3, PlayStation okay. 2. Wow. So the first PlayStation game, and it's not had a remake. No, it's had a remake. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> are you cheating? You che- Are you cheating right now? 
No. Hello, are you? No. You son of a gun. You are such a hypocrite. Are you picking? Terrible. You are a terrible human being. Are you picking Cloud and Tifa? Yes. You are. You make me sick. Why? Why can't? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I'm not going to recover. <laughs> okay, yeah, explain your way out of this one, mister. <laughs> I can't pick two characters in this. Well, I guess I, I guess I can't pick the same guy. I think I did that last year with um, like Tim Drake or somebody. You may have, yeah, Ariana and Steph. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's JG. No. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't help myself. <laughs> I bet, yeah, you really can't. Okay, so to get into that, you know, you have like the whole Pyrrhus freshly fallen snow relationship between Cloud and Aerith. Whereas with Cloud and Tifa, you have the classic anime trope of the childhood friend. Hey, yeah. So, what did you want to talk about? When spring comes, I'm leaving town. I'm going to Midgar. Should have figured. All the guys are leaving. But but I'm not like them. I'm not going just to look for work. I'm going to be a soldier. The best of the best. Like Sephiroth. The great war hero, huh? Isn't it pretty hard to become a soldier? Yeah, so I won't be back for a long time. Guess not. Think you'll be in the papers? I'll try. Just promise me one thing. When we're older and you're a famous soldier, if I'm ever trapped or in trouble... Promise you'll come and save me. Huh? That's what heroes do. They save people. Please? Just once. Uh, come on. Promise me. Fine. I promise. iconic scene from the game that they uh, faithfully translated into the remake is the flashback sequence on the water tower where they meet up as like teenagers and Klaus says, I'm going to join Soldier and be as awesome and heroic as my hero Sephiroth! <laughs> Famous last words. And Tifa's like, oh, well, you know, if you're going to be a big bad soldier boy, then promise me one thing. If I'm in trouble, you'll come to my rescue and save me. And he's like, oh, I don't want to. Promise me, you douchebag and he's like okay final promise and so there's sort of this setup where you meet now that in the original game you first see that after you read where you meet tifa tifa at uh, the seventh heaven bar where she runs and the remake it's a randomly flashback scene when you're on a mission with a uh, bigs and wedge but in the remake tifa's kind of spoken with with like hushed whispers like you know oh this this soldier guy can we trust him his name is cloud well, I don't know, but, you know, if Tiffa says that he's a good guy, like, there's a lot of that going on, where, like, Tiffa is sort of, like, foreshadowed, which I find interesting. 
She's always a very fan, fan favorite character because while Aerith is the typical RPG healer character, I saw that like Tifa was sort of made to be sort of the monk related character, but I'm not sure why because she's like she's a f- fighter, she's the brawler. She uses a lot of boxing and kickboxing moves. A lot of her techniques are physically based. She's a lot of, like flash kicks and roundhouse kicks and such. And honestly, she's my favorite to play in the remake. But her relationship with Cloud, I think, is interesting because you have that whole dichotomy of the childhood friend. How different are they as adults? Um, you ha- have her personality, and which I think, I think, whereas Aerith is a very like spunky girl in the remake, I think Tiff is just a really like lovely woman. She experiences anger and heartache. She breaks down if you have her in the front yard scene outside of Aerith's, Aerith's house. She's also friends with Avalanche, and she's sort of a mediator between Barrett and Cloud. But I think that what I like is that she's very much shown to be. This is this is this is from the original game. You know, her whole thing with Don, Don Corneo was that she put herself in that position. She wasn't like you know captured or whatever. She kind of put herself in that position to kind of learn more for Avalanche. Um, she kind of continued with Avalanche's mission, but was a bit more. I think she was a lot more conflicted than Barrett was in terms of, you know, the terrorist acts that they're committing. And as the game goes on and, you know, you have that sort of thing between Kyle and Aerith kind of growing, you see Tiffa's reaction to it. And so with Aerith is gone, Tiffa is really mourning her friend, but she's also trying to help Cloud while also trying to save the world. And there's that part that I mentioned in the second half of the game where Cloud's just totally useless. And so Tiffa kind of takes control, learns learns about his backstory, um, and you learn more about what happened with with Tiffa. Like, like like she can fight because there was a reason why she learned that she needed to fight. Like something happened to her and she decided, you know, I need to defend myself and, and get trained in martial arts. Um, she also knew Sephiroth when they were younger, and so there's a lot to her character that the remake hasn't gotten into yet. But I, I don't know. I just find that the two of them appealing because you have the classic anime. Like, like Cloud is a Sundere, right? Like he is the dark kind of like mean character who won't say nothing about nothing and won't commit to expressing himself emotionally. And she's comparatively brighter where she tries to bring him out of it. Although she's not like, you know, being cloying or annoying. And as the, as the two of them, like she's not really rebuffed often by him being a sourpuss. And I think they work well together. And I really like how they're done in this first half, especially when they're with Aerith and, and the three of them are going along together. Because I feel that like, it's much easier to get a get a hold on how they feel about each other because Cloud's clearly growing fears for, for Aerith, but he's never like really like disliked or you know put back his feelings for Tifa. And I guess this is a I don't know if this is a spoiler, but the reason he joined Soldier was to basically impress Tifa. And I think she knows that, but she's a, she's a let on that she knows. Uh, to him that that's that's his reason so i don't know there's something very sweet about it and in fact i like the fact that they both grew up to be very like kick-ass adults and only one of them is emotionally stunted that yeah no i I think that like ever since i played this game i always kind of ship those two more so than cloud and aries or Aerith. that even increased as well as the fact that like she's my favorite character in in this in the series so if if you mute yourself from vomiting you can you can stop now I don't even know how to recover from your sheer hypocrisy. What is the matter with you? Like, how is that? I don't. What, what did I say? <laughs> that was hypocritical. You know, you because you called me a cheater for uh, the Spider-Man, and then you come and you cheat by having a triangle. Video game characters in a video game podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, as I said, as I said, I mean, I think it is a, I'm not going to say like, oh, how dare you? That's not a true couple. But it was certainly something that I contemplated. And I think there are even those moments in Final Fantasy VII Remake where you are given a choice. I don't think you're forced, but to interact with Tifa and like meet her. Uh, I think if you do all of the side quests, then you can impact or affect what dress she'll end up wearing which i missed one so i was given a dress i didn't care (laughs) but um that's fine that's fine so yeah i I think i remember a moment where they're sitting there might have been a flashback but sitting up by a water tower if that sounds familiar and, and like talking about the past so i think there is something really special about childhood friendships and and having that relationship already solidified and then building upon it and i think you know just like mary jane she seems so capable on her own and and i know there was a controversy uh, about her her bus size but you know it was they were fine i think we didn't need to go any larger but just like yeah her capabilities as a fighter i i ended up using her a great deal in my party and yeah i i also like her personality and and being spunky and and saying fun things and also being serious because initially when they're in her bar and Avalanche is having that discussion and she's talking about some weighty things of, you know, what what does this mean or what what Avalanche is doing, how will that affect Midgar and things like that. So it's not all about the shipping. She is a, a pretty serious character as well. So I do I do approve of this, but I'm just astounded. <laughs> well, I, I do like when I can shock you. It reminds me of when I put a minimum episode, like as in my number two for that Robotech I Shipper Spotlight. <laughs> That's my, 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 yeah. my favorite podcasting moments ever. Now I know that Jesse's your girl because uh, Jesse is quite awesome in this. But between Aerith and Tifa as characters, which one do you like more? Probably Tifa, I think. Just because I like, even though er- you know Aerith, I keep saying sweet. Like she just seems like a really sweet an innocent type of person. I do like uh, some of my female protagonists, most of my female protagonists, to have some fight in them as well, you know, literal and and figurative as well. And so I just like that she kind of has, she imbues, I think, um, a strong female and and attitude and and fighting spirit, I think. And and she's also tomboy-ish, which I I certainly, you know, that's kind of of my history and and life too. Yeah, so I just feel like, yeah, I would tend towards that than potentially the the frills and and things like that. So probably Tifa if I had to choose between the two. Well, the interesting thing is that, like, originally the main characters were going to be Cloud, Barrett, and Aerith, and – they wanted to do something different. This is a big, this, this is a big, like, you know, this is a game that kind of was going to launch the PlayStation in Japan or really help sell it. And the game designers were like, you know, okay, well, um, what if we kill somebody off? And one of the people behind the game didn't like the idea of killing off the love interest, like kind of just felt a little tropey and stuff. I mean, they still did it, but like, um, Tifa was originally going to be like just a supporting character that you couldn't play as just like, you know, Oh, she, she runs the bar and she, you know, she's a friendly person or whatever. And when they kind of decided to kill off Aerith, Tifa was sort of developed into an actual character that you'd fight as. And also they thought that like they could, even in the original one, you know, kind of see, kind of give players a more of a romantic option between Tifa and Aerith without, without really committing to one or the other. And also the, the person who designed her just really liked her. So he kind of like pushed to have her actually be a playable character. So Tiffa was kind of created 
uh, as a reaction to Aerith in a way, which is interesting because I think, I think at least in America she's more popular. I don't know how it is in Japan, but I know that like um, she's like you know in top top five favorite video game women of all time. Like I, I think some people have said that she's like you know the Lara Croft of like Final Fantasy games or what have you, which is interesting. I think they look a little similar. Hmm. I didn't know until recently that she was sort of, she was sort of created as a reaction to Aerith's character. Whereas, you know, I mean, Tifa is the childhood friend, and I guess Aerith's the person that you meet first, although Tifa's in your party before Aerith is. Even though she's such a main character, and one of the very main characters, uh, uh, it's interesting that, like, you know, she's tied to Aerith uh, much more spiritually, or at least originally, than uh, she is to Cloud in terms of, like, the storyline, or at least in terms of creation of the game. But, uh, you know, I, I like shocking you, and I didn't intend on doing that at all. I, got, I almost resent you pulling it out of me like that, but if, if we had to create another moment, you know, an early moment for BTO, LOL moments, I'm glad, I'm glad it was this. Oh, my gosh. Well, you asked me to... The way you were, like, hemming and hawing around it, I was thinking, you know, this Joker better not be picking, you know... Be going around and saying Tifa, and so when you said, "Oh, it's PS One," I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, it technically, it's did it ever remake." Oh no, <laughs> I know what you're doing here, so I can't wait to listen back to that. On that's the the bummer that I didn't do Zoom because wouldn't that have been fun to see what my facial facial reactions were with that? And you just guffawing over there. Oh yeah, your face has been red with anger. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm sure my levels are probably blown. I was probably blowing it up. Uh, oh boy. Well, do you want a chance to guess what my number one? Is? I mean, honestly, could I? Because like I'm not familiar with Resident Evil and games like that. So like, I mean, would this be something that that you have mentioned before in passing? Yes, I have mentioned it in passing, and I've mentioned it on this episode as being pretty formative. Oh wait, I can do this. I'm going to my mind palace. Oh, I know what it is. It is the characters from Uncharted. I haven't read their names. <laughs> the characters from Uncharted? Yes, uh, you are correct. Hooray. Yes, Nathan Drake and Elena oh, Fisher. Wait, 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 wait. Are Uncharted. you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. You're a <laughs> Please. I'm about you being a hypocrite the- right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Social media is already all over it. So, yes, 2007 to 2016, currently the series being developed by Naughty Dog. And Nathan is played by Nolan North and Elena is Emily Rose. Captain Avery? <laughs> it's just like old times, huh? Lena? Lena? Hey! Hey! Lena, come on! Lena! Uh, my hero. <laughs> oh no, you didn't do that. No! That's not funny! Oh, oh you have done much worse. No. She gave me a goddamn heart attack. Oh, let me listen. Sounds good to me. You realize we're now even for everything I've ever pulled, right? Yeah, like ever. No, 
Not by a long shot. <laughs> Gosh, you've got mud everywhere. <laughs> Anyone ever tell you you have a funny idea of romantic? Yeah. Yeah, I may have heard that somewhere before. Good talk. That's got to be Sam. Come on. Like I said in the beginning, but I trying to I said it and it like hopped off very quickly that this was I think the first time that, you know, I'm playing this game, really invested, and then I'm watching this romance develop and then at the end I'm like, "Oh my gosh, is there something going to happen?" and then it does and I'm like, "Yes." But it really pulls you around. So there are four of them, plus there are some prequels and then there was a, a side story starring Chloe. But with the first one and I'm not going to sum- summarize it. I mean, basically, he's he's an adventurer. He's a treasure hunter. And he's got his best friend, Sully. And they usually work together. Sometimes there are heists and things. You get to know his backstory a bit more and, and how he grew up and, and things that he was doing. But often they're they're looking for historical artifacts, whether for money or not. And an antagonist obviously appears usually trying to get that for some other reason. And also there are some, similar to what you were saying about Metal Gear Solid, there are some mystical or magical things that happen. So in the first one, there are... Like magical realism? Yeah. Maybe less realistic, but, you know, uh, the first one, there are these weird uh, creatures that you find in a U-boat submarine. And in, in the second one, there are abominable snowman uh, yeti type of things but then you find out actually there are like super soldier people inside of a yeti costume and things like that so it's all realistic and then there's always like some really suspenseful scary moment but elena in the very beginning she is documenting so very you know mj asks she is documenting him trying to find some artifacts uh his ancestor Fran- uh, francis drake and she ends up getting roped up roped into the whole situation because pirates end up boarding and so she's with you sometimes and then you separate and then you come back together and in the end you know through all this which i often wonder about you know does trauma shared trauma make for a good relationship beginning but at the very end they end up you know sharing a kitchen like oh my gosh this could be real fun i thought maybe that would be the only time she would be in it or could it develop more? So then when the second one comes along, she is not in it. And I was a bit disappointed because I do really like Elena. And there's this other woman, Chloe, shares a past with Nathan. And there's some some sexual tension there. They they obviously fought and things. And I'm just kind of bummed. Like, who is this Chloe woman and where is Elena? But you end up meeting up with Elena, who is doing some more documentation. But now she's, she's pretty famous, so she's got her own cameraman, which ends tragically. And in the end, uh, because Chloe kind of goes off on her own way, Nathan and Elena get together again and um, to complete the mission. And then they decide, like, we're going to give this a shot and, and see where it happens. So by the third one, <laughs> oh, something has happened. that You find out that they married, but some... It could be his adventuring. It could be just their their lives aren't jiving. There's some sort of separation. 
And she ends up coming to his rescue. She gets called by Sully. And he still wears, you know, the wedding ring. And throughout the, the rest of that, and he ends up leaving her because he does, he wants to protect her. So he goes and continues the mission. But they have some serious conversations about what the relationship is like. And then, of course, he goes off and she's like, what are you doing? But at the very end, they get back together and they decide that, you know, let's seriously pursue a healthy marriage and, and, and pick this back up. So you're like, oh, OK, it's really going to work out. So Uncharted 4 comes out. I'm hoping they're not going to pull the rug out from under me like they've done the previous three times. I guess call me a fool. <laughs> but the actually you start off you start off. Just at, they're living the married dream, I would say. You know, he has a quote unquote real job, um, that finds not really debris, but if, if things have fallen off of, like cargo has fallen off of ships or something, like he'll dive and, and retrieve that cargo and stuff like that. So similar to what he was doing in his fantastical life, but now making ends meet with it. And then she's a journalist. And so you actually have scenes in the house where, he uh, is in the attic at one point, and, and there are some fun things you can do, like look at all of his previous adventures because he has souvenirs from all of them, or he can roll around and shoot darts at, at some targets hanging up. And then she calls you for dinner, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is marital bliss for me, you know, as a gamer. And he comes down, and they... I loved this, but they have a moment after dinner where they're seeing who is going to wash dishes. And all of this seems like, why would you be playing this? Why is this interesting? But it's great. And she says, okay, whoever can have the best score in this Crash Bandicoot video game, which she just says the video game, but it is. It's Crash Bandicoot 1. And it's one of the, probably one of the first one, like the bouldered ones where the boulder's coming for you and you're running towards the screen. And he's making jokes of like, what even is that, a raccoon? And he, there's no way to beat her high score in the first go. You can play it again later on. But it's just like great uh, to see them interact like that and, and very romantic. And unfortunately, like his brother comes back into the picture this is really where you, you suss out a lot of his uh, backstory, this one and three, I would say. And he ends up lying to Elena about what he's doing, about a trip, helping his brother out. And then she finds out and ends up flying over to – they were at Madagascar at the – at that point and so they had just completed a mission and getting some stuff and they come into the hotel room and she is in there and i was like no yeah. <laughs> so it was terrible because she caught him in a lie and it was just like oh it was so hard she's was, was so upset i mean a betrayal a betrayal with a capital b and she ends up, of course, accompanying you on your mission. And uh, there are a couple of times that they have like really frank conversations. There's a really good line. I didn't use it. I considered using it for the audio clip where she saves him and he says, thank you. You know, thank you for saving me again. And she said, I almost didn't this time, meaning like I didn't I almost didn't follow you over. I almost didn't accompany you on this adventure because this has been their pattern, really, or his pattern. And they, yeah, they just have some really interesting, you wouldn't think you'd be like, this is an inappropriate time to be having some of these conversations after they like run out of a cave with exploding skeletons or something. But they, it just works really well because there's this, this heightened tension of, you know, I'm trying to find my brother and there's all this other stuff going on. And then you're also like, you did damage to the marriage and I'm here you know, on faith, but also, you know, we, this needs to be fixed. He ends up, 
again, kind of parting ways with, with Elena and Sully in order to chase after his brother. But I am happy to say that uh, he has hung up, as far as I know. I, I never like when I see news of, like, they want to continue the Uncharted series because it ends so well. It's kind of like Matrix. But they end up, you know, coming back together and pursuing, I think, hopefully, a, a pretty healthy marriage. But it's, oh, man, the ups and downs. But I was so invested with this. And like I said, really formative. I love Elena. She's probably my favorite character. And I think just Cloud to a certain extent, though, he certainly has, Nathan certainly has more character than Cloud does. But she helps him grow, I think, as a person. And he he makes poor choices. And, and I think she forces him to look at some of these choices that he makes and they have serious conversations about things. And I think they showed marriage in, in a fun way and doing also potentially monotonous things like, okay, there's food and, and dishwashing and everything, but here we are. But at the very, very end, you play as, which I could see if they decide to go the route with continue more. I forgot about this almost. If they continued, uh, it would be their daughter. And uh, you're just playing as the daughter and then you're seeing, you know, kind of their life together and everything. And then mom and dad come on by. I'm like, this is so great. So it was, yeah, it's like, oh, man, the mundane, quote unquote, aspects of marriage, but done in an adventure setting and with these two really compelling characters that I will, oh, I will cherish. Well, that sounds really nice. That actually sounds like of all the... Honestly, I mean, granted, granted, yes, there has been like lying and surprises and, you know, separations and stuff. Yeah. But I guess comparing, comparing to everything else, including Final Fantasy VII, it sounds like the nicest relationship. Maybe, maybe it's not. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm looking at images right now on like the Uncharted fandom wiki and they, they seem awfully sweet. Has she been cast in the movie? Do you know? I don't because it is young Nate or younger. I, I don't think that she's in it. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I know you have Sully and obviously Nathan Drake himself. You have a thing for women with like single bang and like their hair in, in, in a, in a, <laughs> behind their head. I, 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 was, I was like, okay, Elena, hmm, this looks like a pattern with you. <laughs> Unintentionally, I didn't even think about it. You know, yeah, I guess. Who knows? Maybe that's just like a standard of, Video gaming so that they don't have to worry. Chloe Frazier, that's her last name. Uh, a standard of video gaming so that they don't have to do with weird hair physics. Because I often look at hair on women while I'm playing video games. And I'm like, that looks so weird. Why is it like this? So, well, you you caught me. <laughs> I have a thing for particular hairstyles in video games. I'll never let you go. Yep. Which one of these? There's four main games, right? Yeah. Which one of these is your favorite? Ooh. That's a good question. Maybe two? I just remember being so enthralled by one and when two was coming out, seeing all of the the images and being in Nepal and waking, like the first scene, waking up and having been shot and being at the base of a, a train that's hanging off of a cliff and you have to climb up. It was just like, oh my gosh, where are we? And yeah, it just seemed like so evolved even from the first one but it was also hard because i'm seeing this chloe woman i'm like where's where's my elena but <laughs> the fourth one i think cathartically you know would be really close closely up there 
and just being able to see all, all the things getting tied together and and in a in a bow that I appreciate and how it's wrapped. So two two or four. Okay, yeah, it's four. Anything? And does there seem when did, when, did, when did four come out? How recent? Uh, that was 2016. Okay, have, have they kind of like like dusted their hands? That's now that that's is it. We're not going to really pursue any, any more sequels. They had a, I would say it's like a side-by-side with four, with Chloe and Nadine, who was kind of an antagonist in four, and they had their own, it wasn't even a DLC, it was a a pretty fully fleshed out um, side adventure, which I would almost ship those two, I'm not sure though. But yeah, they've kind of said like no more, but because it it sells so well, and you know, they're all about the monies, that I have seen (laughs) something recently that they want to continue the Uncharted series. Charted series, but I just wonder what that would look like. And they've done a couple on Vita, which I wish I could play, but um, I'm not going to buy a Vita just to play it. Oh my um, god, the Vita! I, I I I forgot that was a thing. I know. Yeah, and sometimes they bring things on and and put it somewhere else, but they haven't done it with that. So, so I I hope not, honestly, just because you know how I what I think about things that are revisited when they don't need to be. But the only concession I would make to that is if they had the daughter like grown up, and then she becomes the adventurer. But then I would also be cautious about that because I. I love Laura Croft, and I don't need necessarily another one, so I don't know how you would differentiate between the two. Well, that's my next question. Yeah, like, like, like I know Laura Croft, Laura Croft has gotten really damn dark, because I've seen uh, some of those cutscenes of the, of the last game, and this one generally seems like, like a more, like, adventurous series that doesn't, I mean, wh- however, whatever darkness there is doesn't seem to be, like, specific. Um, how would you compare mm-hmm. the series? Yeah, I, I obviously adventuring, they kind of tie into that. But I would say tonally they are different. And there are some shocking moments like Sully gets shot uh, in the first one. He gets shot in the third one. And you kind of are like, oh, my gosh, did they just kill off Sully. But and Nate doesn't have an easy childhood and, and seeing what that was like growing up and, and his brother and everything. So I think they have deep moments, but mostly like pretty level or some light and humorous moments. Whereas... Laura, yeah, she makes some questionable decisions, I would say. The world gets, you know, destroyed and and people's lives are at stake with some of the decisions that she makes. I think it almost seems like more is at stake with Laura than with Nate. Okay, interesting. Okay, so so because isn't Laura Croft, like, rich? She is, yeah. Okay, huh. And Nate is just, uh, he's just a man making ends meet. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to... Now, it seems like given their house at the end of the game that maybe they've been pretty profitable in his salvaging company. Okie dokie. Now, I, I recall you being at the Uncharted series back during the Crawl Space days. Would I deign to presume that this is your favorite series, your game series? I I think that's probably accurate, yeah. Oh, my God. It's something that I can play repeatedly without getting bored of it. Hmm, I see, I see. And like every few years, I'll play the whole thing. Like when COVID started and PlayStation knew people were going through a tough time and they dropped the Uncharted Legacy out on the on the PlayStation Store for free for people, I played all three of those. And then I did Uncharted 4 and then I did Uncharted Lost Legacy, which is the Chloe and Nadine tale. And I was like, this is great. I love revisiting this. So, yeah, I just have fun with them and enjoy the characters a great deal. Oh, 
that's nice. It's always good to have comfort games. I mean, I went back to the well of For sure. the Crash Bandicoot game, so I'll, I'll tell him that you left him behind as your favorite Naughty Dog property. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, second. But it's like all in the family, though, since Naughty Dog had control over both of them. Absolutely. Did you play the Jack and Dexter games? I did. One and two, but then I got stuck. Two, I feel it's really hard. I don't know if I'd be better now. Like, maybe I should give it a go again. But I just was getting stuck on things and could not progress. So I wish uh, I could yeah. see two, you know, finish up two and do three as well. But, oh. <sighs> Yeah. He went from a silent protagonist to kind of this jerky kind of guy. It was interesting. He did, yeah. I actually never owned this, but uh, but my, my, my friend did. And two and three we played together. And that was interesting, too. That, that, did, that was a series that, like, you know, it started off with a pretty, you know, breezy tone. And it got darker as it went on. And that was sort of like... I think that's maybe in the air about things at the time, but like that was that was pretty interesting, and I think that was not Naughty Dog sort of sort of stretching their muscles in terms of storytelling because the Crash series, mm-hmm. you know, the Crash series is, is a cartoon. There's nothing really worth mentioning in terms of a story. I think as great as it is, and Jack and Daxter started out similarly, and then it kind of developed and matured. And then you have this, and then you have The Last of Us, which is you know dark as pitch. So like um. <laughs> I, it's, it's actually kind of interesting, kind of that we've mentioned non dog properties quite a bit in this episode. Yeah. Mm, man. Well, how do you feel about the list? <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with my list. I don't know what you're bugging about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you let me know and you listen back if you feel any guilt for what you've done. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done anything wrong. Oh my god. How do you feel about the list? Are you like hmm, maybe maybe? Maybe uh, Nathan and Alina weren't my number one. Maybe it was really Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade all along. Have I made a mistake? Interesting. That would be a a shock. Yeah. No, I think even as I was doing it, though, I kept thinking about other video games that I've played. And am I missing anything? I feel like I got it. It it only it just makes me uncomfortable is not the word, but nervous that oh man, was I only picking modern games? Was I missing something? But I guess I won't find out until later. I almost picked Miles, Miles, and oh yeah, the Tinkerer. Right. But that I mean, even though there's like a sense of there's some romantic shipping there, they really just were friends. So I felt like I couldn't couldn't really do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I feel like I'm okay with it. Even my cheats, but they're not as bad as yours, I think. Well, the, well uh, uh, <laughs> um, honestly, I, I couldn't really, I mean, I, I won't say that, like, you know, I thought of these and nothing else, but, like, I couldn't think of many more in the games mm-hmm. that I've played. Romance just didn't really come up in a lot of the games. You know, I guess that from Harvest Moon, even Harvest Moon, like, there wasn't much dynamism in, in those romances. It was pretty straightforward. And these, mm-hmm. uh, the, my, my choices had, like, an actual, like, a, a genuinely written out story alongside them rather than just pairings yeah so like, like everything else like you know I, i'm a huge street fighter fan and i know i know in some of the fandom there's like oh well ryu and chun li but that's not that, that doesn't exist that's not that's not a thing so i couldn't really like go towards that well because there's nothing to really talk about there aside from just fan art and stuff mm-hmm. no so it's not really a ship anyway so i that's why that's why i said it, this is actually kind of tricky for me but i still believe in my list like I, I said, like yeah. you know, like like the boss and Naked Snake, they're not really a couple, but they are a couple. And it, you know, I think that like um, the it's sort of like you know, the friends turn enemies turn, like you know, that sort of the passion between that relationship, I think, really drove it to stick into to my mind. So like, 
but yeah, you know, you know, stay mad if you want to about to play Cloud of Stop. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, as always, though, it's been fun. Oh, I hope so. I'm glad I, I, I had, I had fun. I'm not, I'm not, sure, I'm not surprised we went, we went as long as we did. I know part of that, part of that's my fault, but like, uh, it was fun all the same. Yeah, for sure. Where can listeners find you and support you? Well, it'd be nice if they could support me. Uh, you can find me in a few places. You can find my written work at DC Infinite, of which I have recent work uh, to be read on there. My name is credited on there. I am reviewing the awesome Nightwing series by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo uh, over the BatmanUniverse.net. My main gig is co-hosting with Harrison Chu. Questions we don't have answers over at QNoAnswers.com. Our most recent episode uh, was sort of us sort of taking uh, the pulse of how the world is in, term- in regards to several things going on. And at various points, we talk about like Joss Whedon and Pokemon and various other things. So that was, that was, that's our most recent episode as of this recording. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm on Twitter, DonoDMG1. So uh, feel free to dox me there. I heard that you're going to have Joe Rogan on as a guest on Quinoa. You did? Really? Who told you that? Did he say that? Just no. He's, he's just asking questions. <laughs> You're going to have a, du- a double whammy. You'll have Joe Rogan and Candace Owens on. <laughs> yeah, Candace Owens on his show, and you can, can call her an idiot, basically. Oh, my Ooh, God. Candace my Owens God. recently was like, you know, like, you know what I believe, that, you know, the moon landing was fake. And I was like, stop, stop, stop. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Well, I have to say that there are actually some really intelligent people that believe the same. I'm sure there are, but she's not one of them. Jeez, I got I opened the can of worms. Now remember, friends, that the quinoa and the BTO are nemeses. So just Wait, this win. be wise. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, just a, a dramatic confrontation and conflict. Historically, uh, no. quinoa, uh, quinoa is enemies with required reading. <laughs> That is true. I hope we've made up for it, but there is one blot on our um, on our resume, and Tom and I feel real bad about it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's, <sighs> that's in the past. Alas. Yes, we're trying to be better. Yes, quinoa. I, you know, I occasionally download it. There was a month where I had like four episodes on my iPod, and I thought, what is the world coming to? So I do sometimes approve of it. As you know, I will call you out, <laughs> mm-hmm. as any good friend will do, in a serious way, not as a joking. Kind oh yeah, of you, you did, it, and it was it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I I like to hold you guys accountable, but uh, you have been gracious enough to let me on a couple times, and I appreciate that. So, who knows if the cello will appear on the quinoa in 2022? But uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? I mean, like, there's a number of things. I, I mean, probably not the next one. I think the next one will be pretty personal. But like, uh, oh no, that's we play funny. it all by ear. So like, we shall see. I bet so. I bet so. Well, remember, you can send any questions or comments to Backworld to Oracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Backworld to Oracle. I've I've been tweeting. I should have done a live tweet session while I was doing this, but I did put two tweets. Up. I thought one would have been sufficient, but then Donovan went and did what he did, and I had to tweet her. <laughs> you can subscribe to the show on YouTube. I'm sorry. I it, There's a lot going on this month, and so not having a Zoom or a video one kind of cut down on work that I would have to do. So that's why there's not one on for this one. 
Follow Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics by sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. If you say what I think you're going to say, I'll be strangling you. But fly next for the the the. Until next time. I'm winking. Fly on, Batgirls lovers. <laughs> oh, he's going to say t <laughs> Fight on, Final Fantasy shippers. Oh, man. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? The internet's rife with footage of Spider-Man chasing the black cat across the rooftops. And apparently there are hordes of young people cheering them on. They're called shippers. No, that has nothing to do with boats. It's short for relationship. As in, they really want Spider-Man and the Black Cat to be together romantically. Or they really don't. And they have quite intense arguments about it. Flame wars, I believe, is the term. You know, in my day, we didn't have time for flame wars about shipping. You know why? Because we had jobs! So here's J. Jonah Jameson's public service announcement to our youth. You're into shipping? Join the Navy!